Welcome to the Movie Heaven Movie Hell podcast with me, Simon Aiken, and Keith Isles, and Mike Tack, and Clive Ashington. And we're four directors who are going to talk about uh, other directors' films. But actually, in this case, we're actually going to talk about an author's uh, films. And that author is Stephen King. Yep. It's our uh, Stephen King adaptations podcast, ready for Halloween. I think uh, when we we set out to do this, though, there were a few uh, basic parameters that we were going to follow, because obviously with over 200 IMDb credits to his name and counting, uh, there was rather a lot to choose from. So uh, we narrowed it down to be, as it's Halloween, only horror films. Uh, so none of these dramas um, and no TV or miniseries, only uh, movie movies. Is that correct? Yes, that's right, Keith. Absolutely. Um, what the you, fuck you know, did he say? And... <laughs> 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 I'll agree with you. Yeah, that's right. So, so, so quite, quite, quite a lot of adaptations out there with many different filmmakers and screenwriters and uh, many different budgets and uh, different production companies. So, so a, a lot of variation out there in his work. Yeah. So we, mm. we just wanted to make it simple, just make it horror, uh, horror films and, you know, just uh, stray away from uh, all the miniseries. Yeah. No Shawshank Redemption tonight, no, no, folks. No, no Green Mile. No, even though they're brilliant films. Yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely, and um... Um, yeah, because because of the TV thing, no Salem's Lot, uh, but, I know. Also, but also you know, no Langoliers, or sometimes they come back, or it, yeah, know it, yeah. Mm. Well, what was everybody's first um, pronounce of the silent associ- sh, of course. No, come on. <laughs> what 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 was everybody's first association with anything to do with Stephen King? Does anybody remember on the memory lane thing? Yeah, well, uh, I was going to bring this up, but uh, as as you ask, um, my dad was a massive fan, and I remember um, on the bookshelf he used to have all the Stephen King books, and I remember as a kid looking at the covers of them because the the covers were always really well designed. And uh, you know, there's always something kind of gory going on. So uh, that was that's my first memory of uh, Stephen King. And uh, it was only until recently that I started reading him, and I just sort of was, you know, uh, once I picked up one book, that was it. I had to sort of get the rest. My uh, first experience with Mr. King's work was probably when Carrie came out. Obviously, I'm a, only slightly older than you lot, but. Um, when Carrie came out, everyone was talking about how amazing it was, the jump scare at the end and all this sort of thing. And uh, I thought, well, this is interesting. Because at the time, I, the only, I mean, I don't read much. I'm not very well read as a person generally, as you know. But um, I, I was reading the James Herbert books, you know, the really sick British ones, you know, The Rats and The Fog, not the James Carpenter one, but John Carpenter one, sorry. Um, anyway, so I thought, oh, I'll start reading them. And I've read, uh, I read The Stand, which is a massive tome with uh, tons and tons of characterization and voice, you know, like char- character detail. Um, and that's how I got into his work. Um, I've only read a few of them. But uh, you know, and obviously, if you're into horror, then anything Stephen King normally pops up on your radar. 
And then the other thing with Creepshow is one of my favourite horror films, and, and he penned the stories that went in that Romero King sort of production. So, cool. how about you, Clive? Um, I'm, to be honest, I struggled to think. I was always aware of him as this massive best-selling uh, novelist, you know, the master of horror, and because it seems that uh, that you know, as I was growing up during the eighties. Uh, that was the sort of heyday for the Stephen King adaptation. And there were lots of like, you know, big studio movies coming out. I mean, I wasn't watching them because uh, I, I was too young for that. But I, I was aware of the posters of, of, of seeing them as they were released. So I was kind of aware of, you know, kind of uh, how successful he was really before I actually got to see any of the work or read any of his books. So I, I guess I probably came to maybe some of the films first um probably the just the sort of more, more well-known ones and then and then got into the books subsequently so yeah yeah and uh well with me uh quite similar obviously through the uh through the movies uh and and tv shows uh, i remember my dad i guess it was on a rerun um he had seen uh salem's lot the first time round when it had been shown on television and uh, a few years later, I guess it was repeated or whatever. And he let me stay up to watch it. And he said, you know, the, the guy from Startsky and Hutch is in it and I might enjoy it, you know. And uh, I remember watching that and, it, you know, I absolutely scared me to death. I mean, I shit myself at usual parts of it, you know, with the, uh, the kid tapping on the window and the Nosferatu type uh, creature in it and all of this sort of thing. So... You know, I was sort of tuned into to his work from there and uh, then obviously just, you know, continue to, to watch stuff. Um, uh, yeah. So he's always been there. That's cool. Let's uh, move on to our picks for movie heaven because uh, we've got quite a few to go through tonight. Um, so, um, Keith, what is your pick for movie heaven? OK, well, my pick for movie heaven um was actually the first Stephen King adaptation that I saw on the big screen. And I remember it made a big impact on me at the time. Um, from 1991, uh, the film Misery, um, which, uh, you know, is a really, well, I, I think one of the best adaptations of his work, um, you know, as well as being a very good story penned by him in the first place. Uh, Misery basically directed by Rob Reiner. So, uh, you, you know, straight away, you've got a strong director um, starring James Kahn and uh, Kathy Bates. So, uh, you know, again, strong writer, strong actors. The screenplay was done by William Goldman as well. So, um, so you know, a really good team had come together to put this, this film uh, in place. I remember very vividly the... Uh, the actual trailer for it, um, you, you know, making me think I definitely want to go see this. It was one of those trailers, as many were at the time, that was actually edited uh, to the, um, well, now the now late James Horner's music from Alien. <laughs> so, um, you, you know, it was one of those uh, edge of your seat type films. Um you know, Rob Reiner, interestingly, um, you know, obviously naming his production company Castle Rock Entertainment uh, after the fictional main town that uh, a lot of Stephen King's work takes place in. Um, but no, <clears throat> essentially, this this follows 
Well, it's quite interesting because it actually follows the uh, a novelist, which uh, I would imagine there's quite a bit of um, Stephen King's, you, you know, own process and, and things that have gone into this one. Uh, novelist called Paul Sheldon. Um, he writes a successful series of novels uh, on a character called Mystery Chastain. Uh, sorry, Misery Chastain, hence the title. <laughs> and uh, he, he always goes away to, to, to write his final one. Very old school, writes it on an old typewriter um, in a log cabin uh, in Colorado. Um, and always finishes this with a, uh, uh, a, by smoking a cigarette and, and enjoying a, uh, a glass of Dom Perignon. And uh, when he finishes his latest novel, uh, gets involved in, it, in an accident on the way uh, back, uh, lost in the snow in a, in a big blizzard, and wakes up in the home of, of Annie Wilkes, who is a, a nurse played by Kathy Bates, who, who, uh, who says that she's his number one fan. Uh, but as, as, as the film sort of continues, you realise that this, this woman's not, not entirely stable. Uh, <laughs> clearly got some dark stuff that has gone on in the past and, you know, has a rather sort of schizophrenic um, personality. And, you know, it soon becomes very apparent that uh, all these excuses she gives about the phone lines being down and, uh, you know, the roads being blocked and all this sort of thing are actually, um, you, you know, lies to to basically keep him in place. And, you know, and she's acting as his nurse. He's, he, you know, apparently, whether it's through her or whether it was through the accident is always slightly ambiguous. But um, he, he his legs, you know, were very badly broken and injured during this, this accident. Um, it, it actually gets to a point where she reads his latest novel in which he kills the lead character. And... Uh, she goes rather sort of psycho on him. And from that point, he, he kind of realizes he needs to get out of there. Now, essentially, the reason this works so well is it is kind of two characters in one setting for most of the film. Um, but what you've got that also works very nicely, um, sort of tied in with this, is a subplot where uh, the local uh, sheriff, played by uh, Richard Farnsworth and his wife, uh, played by Francis Sternhagen, um, they get a call from his agent, who's is a cameo by Lauren Bacall in, in there, uh, you know, because he, he's, he's disappeared. So they begin an investigation at the same time to uh, to try and find him. So, as I said, in terms of a cocktail of filmmaking, you know, I believe you've got a very strong director. Uh, you've got a really good script written by William Goldman. You've obviously got a great story from Stephen King. And uh, because you've got great actors in this, even in supporting roles, uh, even J.T. Walsh makes a, a brief appearance in this. Um, you know, it all works rather nicely and becomes rather tense and gripping and uh, is, is, you know, beautifully shot, etc. So, um Essentially, you've got lots of tense scenes where Paul Sheldon's character is trying to get out of this situation. He's trying to escape. Um, you know, there are a lot of nice scenes where she leaves the house to go get supplies or whatever, and he tries to get out of his bed and, and essentially tries to get out of the home. And then, you know, we see her returning, so it's all very tense. Um, she does discover... Uh, after a couple of attempts of him getting trying to escape that he's tried this and there is an absolutely uh 
uh, blood-curdling scene in it where um, she essentially breaks both of his ankles with a sledgehammer by putting a piece of wood between his legs. Now, apparently, uh, in the original novel, I believe she actually cuts his feet off. But, it, you know, for the actual uh, film, they do it that way. Um, and, you know, all of this all of this builds up to a, a, a really uh, tense climax, uh, you, you know, where he eventually... Uh, confronts her and managed to, to escape and it's one of these films that it obviously wasn't the first film to do this by any stretch of the imagination but it was one of the one of those films before every film did this where you think the, the killer you think the bad guy or bad girl in this case is dead and uh, you know she actually comes back for more and uh, you, you know you get lots of those really tense uh scenes like that so yeah so th this was kind of as i said it was my first big screen um uh experience of a of a stephen king adaptation and one that i think even to this day really really stands up and is in is a really well-made film so essentially without going into total detail on the plot that's my uh that's my pick for movie heaven i mean uh stephen king referred to this book as a love letter to his fans and uh, I don't know if <laughs> I yeah. like it. Nice joke. <laughs> but um, I, I don't know if this is uh, based on any fact. I mean, he, I'm sure he had a stalker or two, but uh, I imagine it was a fear that he had that one day one of one of his fans would uh, be, you know, capture him and, and lock him away and something and maybe do this to him. So it's, it's, it's just great how he sort of plays on that and, you know, puts it on another writer and puts them through the whole ordeal but it's it's very well done i mean for a film that's you know as you say it's only a few locations where the majority of it is in a bedroom and having filmed in a bedroom for not as as long as that it's it's a bit hard to sort of you know change to, to get so many different shots and different angles and try and make one room interesting which i think uh, rob reiner does a very good job at well, he's probably got a studio where they can take the walls out. Well, he? yes, but still, I mean, even with that, there's so many, so many shots you can get in one room. Yeah, you know, it's. I, I think you know, it, it's 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 good that you also have the other story going on with the sheriff trying to find out, find him, mm. and uh, it does have that one Stephen King trope. Where you have this one character who comes to the rescue, and is immediately taken out like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like Martin um, Balsam in Psycho. Yeah, or like um, um, in The Shining, the, uh, the yeah. chef. Although yeah. that, yeah. Is, that isn't the case in the novel, though, is it? I think I'm right in saying. That's uh, right, that's in the film. Yeah. Okay. Yes, yeah, so it sort of became a trope, I think, almost because of the film adaptation of The Shining. But, um, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's ironic, really. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you, you, you know, th there are stories that Stephen King, you know, a lot of this, um, you, you know, was a sort of commentary on substance abuse, substance abuse, because, you know, obviously we all know that, you know, he's had his, his delvings in that over the years in the past and whatever. And, um you, you know, obviously, that's kind of what the Kathy Bates character represents, um, you, you know, very much in this. Uh, obviously, another big... 
another. I was going to say, I thought I thought it was uh, all about psychopathic women. That's just what I read into. It. <laughs> well, yeah, that too. Uh, I mean, <laughs> obviously, obviously, this won an Academy Award as well for um, for Kathy Bates' portrayal um, in this. So again, it's 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 you know quite a high regarded film out of uh, you know his adaptations for for that reason as well. Um, but Pretty no, rare I, for I, a genre film. Yeah, no, absolutely, and and you know, I I, I just think it works really well. Um, you, you, you know, as I said, a great script, great performances, and very nicely put together. Some of the uh, some of the photography in it is very well done. Um, you, you know, the, 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 there's a lot of cuts between wide shots and extreme close-ups. Uh, you know, to 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 sort of help with the. The, the psychology of it there's, there's dutch angles and things of that nature through it and also some really good camera moves one i particularly like is when you see the uh the sheriff and his wife um they've pulled across the side of the road to investigate where they think the car may have gone off at this point it's covered in snow so they, they don't actually find it but it corresponds with uh annie wilkes's character going into town and you've got this shot which is kind of her point of view of them um coming up to the car to get in the car and then it it comes right back on itself to reveal her through the windscreen driving and it's just you know little things like that storytelling wise that i thought were really nicely done in this so um so yeah it was it was one it's been one of my favorites for years and uh, as i said i re-watched it for this uh, for this podcast and uh, you know, my opinion hasn't changed. I, I think if I'm talking Stephen King movie heaven, this is the one. Right. Well, moving on. Um, Clive, what is your pick for movie heaven? My pick for movie heaven is uh, The Shining. Stanley Kubrick's uh, 1980 adaptation <coughs> of, of the best-selling Stephen King novel. So, And one of Stephen King's favourite film adaptations. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so favourite that he wrote uh, he wrote his own screenplay for it. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> oh well, I think uh, we'll, we'll get to uh, we'll get to that. Oh, okay. I can't not mention that. But um, uh, for for anyone who hasn't heard of The Shining, um, where have you been? Um, <laughs> it's uh, basically it's the story of uh, Jack Torrance, played by Jack Nicholson. And uh, who gets a job as the uh, as the caretaker for the Overlook Hotel, which is a hotel out in the mountains, uh, which basically shuts down for several months a year because of because of the it gets so the, the winters are so uh, are so brutal. But uh, they, so they uh, they just have the, the, the caretaker and, and his his family come in, run the boilers just to sort of uh, stop it being such a massive. Uh, uh, drain in terms of uh, damages and so on. So, uh, but but before he takes this job on, Jack Nicholson uh, is is uh, his character Jack is warned that uh, there have been some incidents at the Overlook Hotel. That uh, that a previous uh, caretaker, in fact, went got cabin fever and went nuts and, and killed his whole family with an axe. Um, and also, there's rumblings that the Overlook was actually built on an old Indian burial ground. So, uh, but but this doesn't bother him. Uh, he's he's just happy for a, a job which is going to not require him to do that much and give him a, a chance to write the novel he's been working up. So, 
he's happy. So he takes his, his wife, Shelley Duval, Wendy, and his son, Danny, uh, out there. And uh, things, uh, things in, uh, initially seem to be going quite well, although Jack doesn't seem to be able to get his writing going. But then as his writing is going, then things start to break down. I mean, should also mention that that Danny uh, is is as a special talent, um, which uh, which we're sort of which is identified by Dick Halloran, who's uh, uh, one one of the employees at the uh, uh, at the Overlook Hotel. who shows them rounds uh, during the handover because uh, uh, Dick Halloran, uh, played by Scatman Crothers, is also also has the same talent uh, that they they're both able uh, to shine. I.e., they they can sort of uh, they're, they're psychic for want of a better word. They can uh, they're, they're given visions. They see things. They're able to talk uh, talk uh, just using their minds. So, uh, but uh, it's it's clear. And and Danny has this has this uh, imaginary friend Tony, who uh, who seems to sort of see things and and shows him visions. Uh, of of bad things in the hotel, and uh, yeah, and and basically we see how things sort of break down. Where where uh, Jack uh, slowly, uh, well, pretty quickly starts to sort of lose his mind, and uh, relations between him and the rest of his family break down severely uh, to the point where and, and Jack starts to hallucinate and see people, and. Uh, yeah, and it's it becomes apparent that the Overlook Hotel is in fact haunted, and things bad things happen. Hmm. I watched Indeed. it the other day, actually, The Shining, and, and uh, I don't know. I've always felt it's been a bit overrated myself, but because um, like just from the point of view that when when you see top ten lists of bet that horror films, it's been normally been at number one for loads of time. And I'm thinking, really. Well, I think it's. You know, I think you have to have the right atmosphere to watch it. I mean, I, I've I've seen it several times, and it it didn't scare me when I was watching it on TV with commercial breaks and everything. It 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 loses the tension. But the thing is, if you are in the right frame of mind in the the right setting, it 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 does affect you. It does get to you. But the other thing as well is, it's also a very entertaining film. There's some great quotes in it. And you know, and it, it it you can sort of it's this sort of study of somebody slowly going insane or slowly becoming a monster. I mean, have you guys seen Room Two Three Seven? I'm yeah. afraid so. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I've, 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 I've seen the short the short that preceded yeah. it. Uh, I haven't seen the full thing. Oh, okay. It's it's film analysis gone mad. Mm. It's it's people. It's those kind of people who watch a film and they see something completely different to everybody else, and their their theories are all over the place. Yeah, but um, I I went to a screening of this uh, last year at Fright Fest, and they had the producer there, and they were asking him lots of questions. And um, one person asked, um, "Do you think this film is about the um, you know?" the Indians being killed off and all this stuff. And he turned around to this guy and said, Stanley Kubrick was a serious director. If he wanted to make a film about that subject, he would make a film about that subject. 
he wouldn't put it in a horror film. He wouldn't have so yeah millions of subliminal messages throughout the whole fucking thing. It's bullshit. Yeah. You I, could I, read I mean, that into any film. Well, yeah, but it's it is funny how they are with that film. They they had the voiceover. They had the people telling speaking of their theory, and yet there were these shots within it where it was kind of proving them correct. But you know, it's just like as I say, it's film analysis gone mad because. I, and there's no, there's nobody on this earth who could make a film that detailed to have all those little things on purpose. You cannot eliminate chance from anything. I mean, Stanley Kubrick's film uh, The Killing is exactly about that. You could plan everything to the T, but chance is still going to play its part in it. So, yeah, it's, it is funny that, um, you know, they believe all this stuff where, and believe that this one person could have, you know, done it all and i think it's yeah as mike says it's bullshit yeah, yeah i Thank mean <laughs> i mean Cl- clive um what what do you know what version you saw because there are actually two versions of this film aren't there there's the there's the theatrical cut and then there's what they call the european version which has extra footage in it and i just i, I no, I, you've got that wrong the that's what European, i was thinking the u.s cuts the longer oh one, sorry the, the other European way around yeah, yeah. yeah yeah i mean it's uh, i i I've, I've probably seen both versions, but the uh, European one is is the one that I would have watched the most. Yeah, same here. I, What's I, the I footage that they've added or taken? It's it's added, and it it really just doesn't add much. If if anything, it explains too much. What is I it mean, though? Well, there's a, a scene where um, oh, a social worker visits um, Danny, Danny and Wendy at the flat when Jack Torrance is away, and they're talking about the time that Jack hit him. All right, Danny, and then there's a um, there's a bit at the end where they talk about um, you know, there's like they're being oh, all right, it doesn't yeah. sound worth watching. I've, yeah. I've, I've obviously no. not seen that cut. There's there's no. some, there's some extra stuff with the sort of journey in the snow snowstorm and all that sort of oh, thing right. as well. Just but, padding um, then. Yeah, I mean it is it is largely, but um. Yeah, I mean, I watched um, just just out of interest a, a couple of years back. I was kind of doing a bit of a a shining marathon, just trying to sort of watch all the different versions. And I also watched the uh, the TV miniseries, the one that they call Stephen King's The Shining. Um, all right. Yeah. But, What's that uh, like? Well, I mean, it's supposed to be. I'll be honest, I've not read the novel, but it's supposed to be much much closer to um, to the actual novel. Uh, much more of an adaption of that. Has it got um, hedges that look like elephants coming to life? It does, yes. It has the topiary scenes in it, although I have to say not not particularly well done. I mean, it's done, you know, using CGI and, uh, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't particularly work, you know, uh, for, for when it was made anyway, you know. <laughs> but Here's uh, an interesting question. If Kubrick was alive now and he was making The Shining, would he go the CGI route? Because he was always about taking on the tech, hence the steady cam use in the film. And he was always want something. No, no, I don't think, I don't think he would have had the CGI. No, because at the end of the day, he's the, the, the story he created was because, you know, they've got the, uh, the hedge maze there. Mm. And the idea was with hedge mazes and, labyrinths and all those kind of things is that there was supposed to trap the monster mm-hmm. so sort of, the minotaur is supposed to be 
you know, stuck in the middle. And so it, Jack Torrance is the monster. And that's why he ends up dying in the middle of that hedge maze. So I don't think CGI, you know, hedges would have come into life. Would I think it's I think it's the film that he wanted to make. Did he take out? Did Kubrick basically go? You know what, Stephen? You're obviously high on coke when you wrote some of this, and I can't really <laughs> put that in the film. <laughs> Do you think that was pretty much? No, no, no. I mean, um, what did Stephen King object to so much that was so different from his book? It's well, let me, let me answer that. I, I, I personally, I love both the novel and the and the movie. It's uh, the, the novel is much, you get much more of of the sense that it's about alcohol alcoholism. It's about uh, Jack Torrance. And his battles with drink. Um, Should have called him Jack Daniels. He could have done. Um, and uh, the and and the and the movie it sort of it strips out a lot of a lot of the stuff which is which would clearly have been very personal to Stephen King. So I can oh, see right. why he was why he wasn't happy about that. It also stri- it also uh, perversely takes out the scariest scene in the book. All right. But uh, but uh, which is the topiary scene? You know, when you read that, it's absolutely, uh, you know, really, it, it's you know, tense. You know, you need to it, sort of sleep with the lights on after that. But I think, uh, but whereas Kub- whereas Kubrick is it, it's much, he's much more. It seems much more interested in in making a kind of a, a modern fairy tale, hmm. where uh, you know, and and I think he you know he emphasises that by almost having. Uh, you know, Jack Nicholson sort of like, like, or, or like, almost play it, play it so big that it almost becomes like a caricature. He becomes like that sort of like, uh, like, 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 well, you know, when he's sort of going, little pigs, little pigs, let me come in. You know, he has almost become that character. He's become that sort of that, uh, big that, bad wolf. that big bad wolf. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's deliberate. You can't, I mean, you know, Kubrick is not, uh, he's not just going to sort of let an actor do that and if you look at uh, Nicholson's work although that's uh, that much more of the sort of performance he's going to do it, it throughout the 80s and, uh, and up to the present in the 70s that that was a real you know that was his work and things like five <coughs> five easy pieces in the last detail you know it, it's it's much more subtle yeah but in Chinatown. It, 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 yeah and trying to turn it as you say but mm. so this, you know, this is like the first "Here's Jack" performance, you know, uh, and and, and, it's, the and it's Batman job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely did, and mm. uh, and Kubrick uh, definitely wanted that. I mean, for me, this the movie is like a visual masterpiece. It, it's a real sort of uh, it's object lesson in in you know. Uh, uh, moving the camera and each and each camera move having a purpose, uh, and uh, mm. often with certain directors they get a new they get a new toy, and 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 they're like oh great and they play and you can see they're eager to play with it but it doesn't always not in always in a way that serves the film whereas this he's got the new Steadicam technology he's one of the first to use it. Uh, but yeah, even then, he's not. He, 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 sort of, he deliberately gets the, them to sort of uh, turn the rig upside down, so you, so he can get those sort of almost uh, those following shots where he's following Danny uh, in his cart down the uh, down uh, at, at his level. You know, he so brilliantly we're, we're, used we're, it. We're, didn't we're he? With, he brilliantly used it, mm. and the the use of color, 
everything and stuff that's just not in the novel at all. The whole, uh, you know, elevator full of blood, uh, which is really creepy and just keeps recurring. And uh, and and the way he shoots the the the, the twins, it's just just really freaky stuff. Um, I mean, I can see why King would get annoyed with certain of his changes. Just seemed to be like arbitrary. You know, why why two three seven? It's not two three seven in the novel. You know, two one seven. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, oh, I can answer that because um, the uh, hotel that doubled for the Overlook. They asked him to change it because they didn't want people being scared of that number. So 237, you'll never go to a hotel with that many rooms. Ah, okay. That's cool. It's ironic because when they shot the TV series, the Stanley Hotel in Colorado, they've got the the same carpet down. I mean, they've gone all out to make it look like the shiny hotel. (laughs) And they hold a a big horror fest there uh, once a year as well. Well, maybe because maybe that's what their their carpets are like. Uh, I don't because know. if well, the thing is with Kubrick, he does a lot of research. I mean, he would have had people at that hotel, and they would have taken photographs yeah. of literally everything. Now, I'm not saying he made a replica of the hotel inside Elstree Studios, but he certainly would have uh, done his research and would have used certain aspects that he thought would you know would work for the film. Would you say that as as a filmmaker, he was also into production design in a big way? Oh, big style. Oh, he was into so that every, everything that of the would, film. So that would be something that he would he yeah. would probably have had that custom made, I would have thought. You're talking you know, about the director who, instead design, of... You know, from, you're thinking, talking about the director who, instead of flying over to New York, recreated the streets of New York in um, Pinewood. Hmm. Yeah. It's a he's a man who, you know, he he has it he brings everything to him, mm. but he does his research. That's why we had such a massive gap between uh, Full Metal Jacket and Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah. He was he was work, working on literally three films mm. and two of them fell apart. Mm. But the amount of research he does is it's just incredible. Mm. It's just you know, it's it's mind-boggling how much <laughs> research he would do. So Clive, that's your your movie Heaven. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's 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 one of the uh, you mentioned it earlier, Mike. You know, it's it's one of those films that's that's always put up there in the sort of like the it top is. one or top three sort of mm. horror movies ever made, and that 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 I think that makes it almost like that almost makes it difficult for people coming to it fresh because you know that maybe they don't get what they expect and in some ways you could say okay it's quite a mainstream horror movie in terms of what it shows but it's just uh, it, it, i think it's just brilliantly done it, it, it's quite a long film but i i think it totally sustains that and uh and, and i think you know it, it, you know you've got great character you've got great character actors in this like joe turkel as lloyd the bartender um and uh, you know, and and the great central performances, it, it's just yeah, it's I, intense. I, it, 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 not it's, as much as Chainsaw, but it's got it's one of the films I think in the mainstream that actually has quite a lot of intensity when it gets going. You know, like Chainsaw Mask is really intense viewing. It's it's not as quite as much as that, but it's still pretty. You know, when it gets going. I will say that with The Shining, it, it once it's it's a slow builder, yeah. but it, it never gives up. Mm. Is the thing you don't get much of relief from what happens because mm. it's just constantly building up. 
But I, I just want to say something before we go. <laughs> I do laugh at the bit where um, we we cut. You know when uh, Scatman covers is is lying in his bed watching the TV and the picture of the the woman above his TV with the massive afro <laughs> always makes me laugh. How huge that afro is. <laughs> hmm. hmm. Indeed. Again, right. again, picked. He's also a fan I'm of sure exploitation. I was going to say, he, I'm sure he spent a long time <laughs> choosing that picture. <laughs> yeah, <so. laughs> uh, He's talking cool. about the plight of the African-American Afro. That's why he did That's it. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, moving on uh, to uh, my pick for movie heaven. And uh, I pick The Mist by Frank Darabont. Mm. Now, when this came out, we it didn't have much of a release at the cinema. I had to um, I had to sort of search for a cinema that was showing this. I found one in Swiss Cottage. It was a late night showing, and then when I got there, they put um, Kung Fu Panda on by mistake. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, seriously. We, I mean, um, Justin Bieber live or something. It was like sitting there and the trailers were playing and it's like Cocoa Pups and all these like, and it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> now as a projectionist, I've, I've, I've figured, oh, maybe they've just taken the, you know, the the commercial reel from one of the others because <coughs> they haven't been given one for this film and just put it in the front. But then once we got the beginning of Kung Fu Panda and the sad thing was once it started, I was like, Oh, I quite want to see that film. <laughs> but uh, they, they they soon changed it and we, we got the film we paid our money for. Ah. And I have to say, um, seeing it on the big screen is, it's it, wow, it just, it really works. Mm. Um, I think a lot of people missed that experience. Missed, get uh, it? Missed it? Okay. Ha ha. Ha ha. No, no. Yeah. Well, <laughs> The, the story of the mist is is about uh, this mist that ascends on this uh, small town in Maine and uh, there's creatures in there and a group of uh, locals are trapped in this shopping market. Now, the thing is, the creatures outside, as dangerous as they are, they're, they're not really that interested in in the people. They're, they're just creatures doing what they do. But it's it's more about the people within the supermarket how how like normality and everything just goes out the window and as one character goes i can't believe it happened so quickly you know that the the whole you know it the whole sort of like society sort of tears itself apart when when the shit hits the fan just like when you try and queue for petrol when there's a petrol shortage and you end up yeah. wanting to punch each other just to fill your tank up with fuel so um We've got uh, Thomas Jane in the main role as uh, David Drayton, who's actually a sort of stand-in for uh, Stu. Oh, the you know the famous artist who does does all the posters, uh, Stu. Dr- oh God, I can't remember his name. Drew Stroysen. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, we even get to see uh, in the opening shot. We get to see a Thing poster, and he's working on a Dark Tower. Oh, that's right. That, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. and. Uh, yeah, I just made. I'm a fan of the Dark Tower, so seeing that was quite a. That sort of gave me a little cheer, and um, so uh, David uh, drives in his neighbour uh, Brent Norton to the supermarket with his son, and that's when this mist descends. 
and they're trapped there. And we get introduced to all the other locals, uh, characters played by Toby Jones, William Sadler, Laura Holden, um, Jeffrey DeMunn, Francis Sternhagen, uh, and a few other people. And of course, some of this cast went on to be in The Walking Dead. That's right. Yeah. I mean, when, uh, when um, Frank Darabont was developing The Walking Dead, obviously he, he took quite a few of those cast members. But at one point, um, Thomas Jane was sort of flagged to play the, uh, the the Grimes role before it went to Andrew Lincoln. So um, yeah, and also uh, in Walking Dead, they named uh, the the sheriff's department. It's Kings County, which he named after Stephen King. So uh, mm. you know, a lot of love yeah. there. <laughs> oh yeah oh definitely i mean uh you know after doing three adaptations of his work i would have thought so yes indeed i mean for me i i was really caught up in the film and what was happening i i thought some of the effects worked really well and some of it you know because it was some of it was cgi it was kind of ropey but i think the thing as a filmmaker that i really respect is the fact that it was shot in like six weeks on wow. a low budget and um he he had done an episode of the shield and he was able to bring the camera crew from that to shoot this so it was a very sort of free flowing sort of hands held cameras moving all the time and they didn't have like a set shot list um if you ever see the behind the scenes stuff all the actors ref refer to the film as like doing a play because you're always on because they didn't know if they were going to be on camera or not it wasn't like, oh, we're doing your close-up now. It's like the action's happening and they're capturing it as it as they go. Well, nothing yeah, wrong I, with that. It's I, effective. No, absolutely. I mean, a lot a lot of the actors that uh, that worked on, you know, Ron Moore's adaptation of uh, the Battlestar Galactica series, uh, they used to say the same thing because of the shooting style that Michael Reimer, uh, you, you know, did in that. that that's because it was done handheld and sort of random and, and almost improvised to an extent uh it meant that all the actors all the time had to be in character and acting and uh yeah i think it's i think it's a, a good aesthetic a good choice sometimes so why not you know mm. yeah yeah but i mean the the reason why it had to be shot like that was because of the ending and i i'll tell you why because um every studio he took the film to they wanted him to change the ending and you love it or hate that ending it's a gutsy ending i mean that film could have ended you know in the novella it just ends with them driving on and you never know what happens to them they, you know does you know does the mist go away are they able you know does humanity be able to fight back against these sort of invading creatures you didn't know with the book but in the film you do find out and it's gut-wrenching i think that's that's the key about the, the film that everyone talks about the ending it's the main talking point and i think it's the main thing that makes you know makes it what it is because otherwise it'd be just another creature feature really without that amazing well, ending I, well i have to say not really because i mean the the creatures play second fiddle really to to the drama that's going on within the supermarket. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a mean, great it's, ensemble it's... piece, isn't it? I mean, yeah. that, that is the thing. You've got a pretty pretty large cast and a lot of stuff going on there. And uh, mm. I agree with the comment you made earlier about 
for me, I found that stuff almost more interesting than the actual creature and the, you know, all the stuff going on outside. I, I, I sort of found some of the, uh, the, the, the tension between the characters, the, uh, the, the, the most interesting yeah. part of it, really, you know. Yeah. And you're talking about uh, Mrs. Carmody, played by Mar uh, Marcia Gay Harden. Yeah, great, she was great a real wind up. Yeah. Oh, tell me about it. But the thing was, at the the screening, when she got shot, everybody cheered. <laughs> I mean, that was just that was just a great moment. It was just like that's the mob mentality, isn't it? Well, well, she was the leader of the mob, and she was she had from the from the very beginning when that mist descended, she was like the the voice of the crazies. Yeah, you know, she was the religious zealot that you know. And the thing was, because she kept going on and on, people then started listening and started following. And that's when it, you know, that's the frightening part that people can sort of, you, I mean, look, you think about these days, we, we look at people now who are running off to um, Syria to join ISIS. And we think to ourselves, what, why are these normal people doing this? And it's just because if somebody keeps saying to you, you know, um, like, like in the film that it's, it's all God's will. And, you know, you, if you're coming up with answers, people are, are going to listen, aren't they? And and they're going to start following. If you just keep going on and on and on. To be fair, she probably had a point. I mean, if you had all these monsters suddenly peering out of a mist, you'd think, well, hold on a minute. If monsters exist, you know, it gives her more credence, doesn't it? Which is sort of what she utilised in the film, wasn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, it just sort of strengthened her beliefs. But the thing was... What, the outcome of that was really horrible and nasty. I mean, the the fact that they were prepared to sacrifice people to the creatures in the mist so they would just leave them alone. When at the end of the day, the creatures, you know, they were just animals. They were just, you know, just doing their thing. They weren't really interested in, in that supermarket. I mean, if anything, if they wanted to, they could have smashed that glass and they could have gotten in there straight away, but they didn't. They're only creatures. So, you know, it. The, as I say, the horror of that story is, you know, the sort of religious celacy that happens within that supermarket and how it happens so quickly. Now, I'm not against religion. I'm just, you know, it's just sometimes bad things come out of that. Do you prefer the black and white or the colour version? Um, I actually prefer the black and white. I thought it worked really well in black and white. Because they say the effects are, you know, the effects look a bit more, it looks more like a 50s B-movie style, doesn't it? Yeah, it looks very much like Night of the <laughs> Living Dead. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and... I mean, I mean, this is a bit of a Darabont thing because um, when he, uh, of course, the television network completely uh, opposed to this, but when he, when he first wanted to release uh, the pilot of The Walking Dead, um, he wanted that to be in black and white to kind of match the graphic novel, um, oh, but, okay. but obviously he was he was kind of forced to to release it in color. Hence, why they went with the sort of desaturated look that it has. Yeah. But um, uh, but yeah, quite interesting that he likes to do this this black and white version thing. Although I never quite see the point of the DVD of it because I think well, all you've got to do is turn the color off on your tv set anyway and you, you can watch anything in black and white you know? not everyone is as clever as you keith <laughs> and well another thing as well is that um 
if you're doing black and white, you like to get the contrast up as well. This so is it's, just a, it's just a level of control. Yes, absolutely. You know. And I believe uh, Greg Nicotero worked on the creatures in this as well, who he, he, did, who yes. he then also hired for um, the zombies in Walking Dead. And even though Darabont's no longer with it, I believe Greg Nicotero still like one of the main producers and directs quite a few episodes does, as well. Yeah. So yes. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. He's really so, elevated himself and much to Savini's um, discontent, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> so Clive, what did you think? I really dislike this film. <laughs> That's why he was so That's quiet. what this podcast is about. We've He's got waiting there. to strike. Uh, I, seriously, I would have picked this as my choice for hell if you hadn't already picked it as yours for heaven. Um, the first time I watched it, I, I hated the ending. Uh, I re, I've you know subsequently rewatched it, and now I just find it depressing as hell. Um, so here's my thing. Right. <clears throat> the the I I find the bit before they get to the supermarket, the introduction with him as the uh, Drew Stroyson uh, style paint uh, painter, I find that quite unconvincing. It just seems like a Hollywood idea of a job. This idealized family, uh, the sort of uh, the conflict with the neighbor that's that's very heightened, and it just it all feels a bit obvious and on, and on the nose, and I'm not really with it. If you see what I mean. Um, the central section in the supermarket, I think, works very well as a drama. I think it's unfortunate in some ways that that so many of the casts have gone on to be in The Walking Dead because it just it feels like a t- it feels like an episode of TV when I'm watching that bit. Um, you know, good TV. Uh, you know, and I think Marsha Gay Harden is great in that bit. I really like Toby Jones. Um, as the sort of you know sort of uh, initially sort of meek shopkeeper who turns out to have some deadly skills which is uh, which is a nice uh, arc there um but then the moment from the moment they leave the supermarket it just uh, uh, none of that ending works for me um i just don't feel it's earned i don't mind uh, I, I don't Gosh. i don't <laughs> I, I don't. I, I don't mind a, a, a down ending. You know, I, 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 there are some of my favourite horror movies end brutally, harshly. But with this one, I just uh, it it just it just felt like uh, like like uh, I, I to be honest, I, I'm trying to you know I was I was sort of trying to work this out in my mind. I, uh, the first time I saw it, I was just angry at the characters because I felt they all just gave up way too early. Um. So, so I was immediately sort of angry at this sort of decision just to give up. It wasn't like like the, the creatures were, were were literally outside the window banging to get in or anything like that. It was it was just like oh we've run out of petrol. Uh, there seems to be no hope. Right, that's it. And that wound me up. But then, <laughs> uh, but, then when, but then when you but then when you added on to that, um, I mean we're gonna have to spoil the. Uh, I'm going to have to spoil the ending here. So, so essentially, <laughs> yeah, essentially, their their plan, which isn't a terribly, you know, clever plan, but it's just basically to drive as far south as possible uh, as as they can and hope they get clear of the mist. Uh, they run out of petrol, and this and the mist is still all around them. They're seeing these sort of giant leviathan creatures sort of wander by, and there seems to be no hope. And uh, uh, but. But Thomas uh, Jane's character has this has this gun, and uh, 
and, and, and he's escaped with his son and uh, with uh, with two of the people from the shop. Uh, and they've already found out because they went by his home that his wife didn't survive. So, you know, in a bad place. I get that. But and the gun only has enough bullets for three of them. Four. Oh, hang on. Am I miscounting here? Sorry, there's there's yeah. also the, the the woman character who the who's, Laura Holden character. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So four. Um, so uh, and there's sort of this unspoken thing about okay, you know, we can't, we don't want to go out like those people we saw in the uh, in the chemists. Um, mm-hmm. So so there's like this this suicide pact, and you know he does what he does, and. I, I, I just felt that uh, I, I could see I could see Thomas Jane acting. I could see him acting really hurt. It's a really difficult moment to play, but I just it just the whole thing just ran fi- uh, false to me I, I, after he'd done the deed. Um, it, it just I felt like I, I, he was showing me how upset he was, and it just felt. And then when you combine that with the Lisa Gerard song, which you know I I. I'd heard either that or an iteration of that in lots of other films, and it just all felt so on the nose and so not and not really earned. So, uh, so I, I was that just threw me completely out of the film, and then I and I was already sort of hating the decision. I, I just felt like I knew it was going to happen right. after that, and then I and then I was right. I was just I just felt depressed and uh, and really angry at the film. And on rewatch, I just I just find it a depressingly nihilistic ending. So I get that a lot of people that's what they love. They they love that it has, that it has the balls to go there. Yeah. And I, and, and, and I, I I appreciate that because not a lot of you know quote unquote mainstream films do it in that way. But for me, it just doesn't work. So sound uh, like it's, a studio so, exec. <laughs> it, yeah. It, it's yeah. So uh, you know, I I, <clears throat> I I can see the craft, and I and I do like the middle section, but the, the, just. The okay. bookends uh, just uh, make it a film that I just don't like revisiting at all. Okay. But hey, uh, you guys all liked it, so that's good. <laughs> we did. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't agree with what you say. I have to add a rebuttal. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, Thomas Jane, I, I, I it's not... I mean, he's just shot his son. I mean, it's... It, I feel like I that's how I would react. I wasn't I didn't think, oh my god, he's acting. Oh my hello. god, look at the acting. Hello, hello. Hello. <laughs> god, Jesus. Um, oh, is a, oh is we're in a, the middle of a rebuttal. Is there here? a policeman on the <laughs> Skype chat? Hello, hello. <laughs> hello, hello. Um you know, he just he's just murdered everybody in the car. And they're they're all people he cared for. Mm. And you know, he you know, he, he you see him trying to, you know, see if he. I mean, it's it's kind of comical that he's pulling the trigger on the gun and nothing's happening. You know, he knows there's only four bullets. Yeah. There's, there's no chance that there's going to be anything left. But, no, I get what he's trying to right. do. He just, and he I, just, and I'm glad yeah, it he's just for wanted you. to it die. Just, it doesn't work. For, no, I get what he's trying mm. to do, and I, and I'm glad it works for you. It just it doesn't work for me. But then, of course, so, the real kicker yeah. is that um, it seems fake, if he'd waited a go. few. But then, of course, the real kicker is that. Um, if he'd waited a few seconds, they would have been all right. Yeah, and and obviously it's supposed to be a bitterly ironic ending, and it and mm. yeah, but it's yeah, yeah, it's it's not yeah. it's not for me. 
I mean, the, the other thing I'll say about the ending is um, when the mess first descends, uh, you have this one woman who wants to get back to her kids. And of course, nobody will go with her. And she says, screw the lot of you. And she goes out there. And of course, you see that she found, she got back to her kids and, you know, they got rescued and everything. So, you know, it, the the mistake was to stay in that supermarket when you when you see that character at the end. Yeah. It was kind of it was kind of a bold ending, I suppose. But uh, but mm. yeah, it's not for everyone, I guess. And well, that's why we do these things, isn't it? So so we can find uh, out what uh, Clive so doesn't like. Appa- apparently, <laughs> apparently, though, um, Darabon and the Weinstein's are supposed to be developing this into a television series, which obviously has happened with quite a lot of Stephen King's work over the years. So um, mm. so we, so we might have mm. more of it. <laughs> you can tune into that, can't you, Clive? Hmm. <laughs> Mike, what's your heaven? Ah, well, I decided to choose um, something that may not be immediately apparent to most of you Stephen King lovers out there. Uh, I've gone for, for me, is is the perfect marriage of uh, an amazing director and a cracking story. Uh, it is The Dead Zone. Um, it stars Christopher Walton. Actually, when you... Yeah, but um, can, can I just say, Mike, mm. I can hear you, Mike. Mm. I was just going to say that um, when you said that, I was like, wow, that's that's a really inspired choice. Mm. Oh, OK. So yeah. I, I, I disagree with your opening statement already. <laughs> you don't, you, I don't think it's, d- you disagree with my choice. Well, I, well, no, I agree that it's as a great film, but you were saying that something that Stephen King fans wouldn't automatically go to. Yeah. When actually, it's it's one of his. Well, I'm talking about works. films. I've read the book, like, and and I think that a lot of people, if you said name names three Stephen King films, I I think I think that the Dead Zone. I mean, I know they made a TV series out of it, but um, I don't think it's something that, um, to my knowledge, a lot of people like. I talked to Keith. Keith had never seen it. Um, or, oh wow! Or, so you know, I mean, not obviously not yeah. you, Mister Cinephile, and maybe Clive. But uh, that's that's why where I was coming from. Anyway, um, so David Cronenberg uh, directed The Dead Zone. This is from 1983, um, and it's a story of this guy called Johnny uh, Johnny Smith, funnily enough, uh, who's a school teacher, and he's got this this sort of fit bird that he's uh, having got a relationship with, and everything looks great and. On a snowy night or a rainy night, him she kicks him out of the house. But there's a promise that you know he could maybe get his leg over, but he doesn't take it because he's a bit weak. And um, he drives off, and um, there's a massive accident with a sort of jackknife lorry, and he gets not you know smashed up. And then it cuts, and I think it is it ten years later or something. Um, I'm not quite sure, but yeah, um, it's just about that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, five. He, he wakes up, sorry, five, and he wakes up and he's in a coma. And um, there's an, you know, the the film, I mean, Cronenberg's known for his sort of bleak coldness to a lot of his films. And this is pervasive mainly from the fact there's a lot of snow in this film, which obviously adds to the, the bleakness. But this guy wakes up in a coma and is a doctor and he tells him that... Uh, Sorry, mate, you've been knocked out for five years and, um, you know, you your whole life has changed because you've been stuck here and you've got to exercise yourself because all your limbs are wasting away. Um, you can barely walk and all the rest of it. 
And anyway, he's been attended to by a nurse and he grabs hold of her and he gets this this vision um, of her house in flames with her daughter screaming. Uh, uh, and it then cuts back to him holding the nurse who literally can't, who's freaking out because he's sort of holding on to her so hard. And he says, you know, go home. You know, I think it's Kathy or something. Uh, he says, go home, you know, there's going to be a fire. And, and what happens is he ends up saving the child's life um, through this, this intervention, this, this vision that he had. And it's, it seems to be through touch. So if he touches someone, he, can, he, gets, he, he sort of shakes. And, he, and this is something I think is very effective in the film. You get this sort of really jarring sort of violin noise and um, it, it cuts backwards and forwards briefly before it goes to the vision. And you see this premonition, if you like, of what's going to happen in someone's future. Um, and so the rest of the film, it's him trying to get his life back together again. You know, he can hardly walk. He's a teacher. He um, he gets a private teaching job with a rich guy. And sure enough, he he um, he's doing everything's going fine. And uh, he touches this boy, not inappropriately. Um, and um, <laughs> and uh, it's a vision of him playing ice hockey on this lake and disappearing under the under the ice and going to his doom um and uh, he tries to warn this rich fella that this is going to happen and the guy says look you know i'm rich and i you know and i don't employ someone without looking into them i've heard about your stories and what you've been talking about on what you your gift is but you know you're a good teacher but he, he fails to heed the warning and uh, i believe that uh, one of the other kids die um, and uh, basically he gets he gets sacked from this job because the guy can't stand the fact that this guy, he didn't heed his warning. Um, and then the more, the, this is the more interesting thing, is that then Tom Skerritt, who plays the sheriff, he, um, in this town, there's a number of serial murderers go, he, I mean, because this guy Johnny's living with his dad, and uh, he he sees the number of serial murders are going on in this town and the sheriff come approaches him with his deputy and um, initially he doesn't want to have anything to do with it because he, he sees the gift as, as a curse more than anything that's brought him nothing but, but, but trouble. And um, so he, you know, he, he, he thinks about this and um, Oh, I'm having my cake brought to me. Thank you very much. Love. Thank you. Um, <laughs> So he thinks about. Are this. you having your cake and eating it? I am. It? I'm having a cheesecake and eating it. Mm. Mm. Wow. Um, <laughs> so then um, there's this sort of mystery in the middle of the film, where he's walking around in some very atmospheric nighttime locations with like a tunnel with flashing lights and like torch lights, and it's really quite creepy as if. He's going around trying to see if he can get any hint of who this killer may be. Um, and um, I won't tell you who the killer is, but what happens is um, he actually tries to work out what's happened by actually touching one of the uh, corpses of one of the young girls that have been murdered. And you get this lovely uh, scene where you actually see him when he has these visions this time, you actually see, in fact, actually is in, in all of them. You actually see, he sees himself 
in this place where this vision's happening, as though he's cra- if he's crouching, doing something, he's you see him crouching and looking around, as though he's a <clears throat> an invisible spectator to this event that's happening in the future. Um, and um, there's a there's a great twist to the story in this middle section, and um, he finds out who the killer is. Um, and there's a brilliant scene where the mother of the killer, he actually, you know, he always seems to have an excuse for grabbing hold of people and he grabs her and he looks to her and he, you don't see a flashback. He looks her dead in the eye and he says, you knew, you knew. In other words, she knew her son was this killer. And that was quite, you know, quite chilling when you see this. Um, so the, the film is working through this, this story of poor old Johnny who's got this gift and he gets revisited by his, his ex-girlfriend. Um, <clears throat> you know, I mean, she wasn't st- sit by, by his bed for five years while he was in a coma. You know, she went off and got knocked up and is with some bloke that's involved in the presidential election campaign for this bloke called Greg Stilson, who's played by Martin Sheen. Um, uh, and so... You know, this obviously, you know, prompts a lot of emotions within him and um, she she meets him and, you know, they they basically she she sees him once and gives him the sex that she promised him on the night of that he had his accident, which is very kind of her. Um, even brought a child along, you know, I don't know where he went at that time, but uh, they had like, you know, sex in front of a nice big open fire. Uh, and um, then she fucks off, and um, poor old Johnny's left there in pretty much a miserable state. Now, the real kicker is when he's um, walking around, and this presidential candidate to be Greg Stilson is, you know, he seems a nice guy, and he's making headway, and he looks like he could be the next president. He actually, in a crowd scene, where Johnny's a little bit lost. I think he was chatting to the, the, the woman and they had a bit of an emotional scene and all these crowds around him. And because this presidential elect guy, Greg Stilson, sh- grabs hold of people by shaking their hands, he then shakes Johnny's hand. And it's then you get the, the real payoff where you see that there's a premonition and basically Greg Stilson um, it basically is in a situation where he, he he's like a fucking maniac and he and he he's basically setting off the nuclear codes to to basically start a nuclear war so now johnny has a purpose and i think this is the turning this is the turning point where i su- suppose throughout the whole film he's felt a little bit out of time he's a man out of place because all those years have gone by i mean you imagine if you're in a coma for 5 years or 10 years how Everything moves on. All right, man. Sorry, my dog's here. Um, oh, thank you. He's, he, he doesn't like. He doesn't like people. That's it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, <laughs> thank you. Um, you're getting on the podcast, bandit. Nice boy. So this is the thing. I, I feel that it's very beautifully crafted. The way that uh, I mean, I've got so much empathy with this character that he's he's just thrown a bit like Marty McFly. From your Back to the Future podcast, he's he's dumped in a time. <laughs> it's almost like time travel. I said to Keith, it's like time travel. If you were literally put in a coma for ten years, and you woke, you know, you then woke up. Everything is different. You know, everything. I mean, you've only got to go on holiday for like a week and come back and see your normal journey to work. How the leaves have changed on the trees, and 
and just how things look slightly different. You notice it. So if you did, you multiply that by years, I mean, it must be horrendous. Um, I think this is one of the things that really resonated with me is that uh, even though I didn't find the film particularly scary or anything like that, it's more of a you know a drama. It it, um, it really resonated with me that and feeling sorry for this guy who's basically had his life and then he had everything taken away from him with this one accident and it's almost like he would have been better off bloody killed because you know he had so much to look forward to he was happy and he, he wakes up and everything is shit um but this gives him a purpose and basically he decides at, at one of these these rallies these local rallies he's going to shoot the president elect um you know with a rifle and uh, do a bit of a jfk on him um which is another thing which i thought was really clever the way that King story woven in this this theme of well you know what if the guy who decided to kill President Reagan or whatever you know had some other reason that no one would ever understand for doing it so that was really interesting and as we all know the story doesn't end well but it does because he ends up shooting um, he doesn't end up shooting the president what he does uh, for the president uh, elect Stilson grabs hold of someone's child, the child that actually of his girlfriend, fathered by some other chap that she shacked up with. Um, she he holds the baby up to stop to not be shot, and a photographer got the picture, and it basically destroys his campaign, and he doesn't become president. Meanwhile, Johnny gets shot by the security guys, and he dies. Um, and the last person he talks to is holding the hand is his ex girlfriend. Um, so. Uh, that's the end of the film. Um, but for me, Cronenberg, when he had this period when he did, what were you saying, quotes, commercial films, you know, like The Fly. The Fly is fucking fantastic. And I think The Dead Zone is equally as good. And now I'm not familiar with the book, but it does seem that, you know, of all people, Cronenberg would, would show some respect and at least pick all the best bits that would work cinematically. Um, it's eerie and it's scary. And um, from the point of view of just being put in that situation, and I really, you know, considering I have no empathy, um, generally speaking, um, I really did empathise with his position. Um, so I don't know what you guys thought. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was, um, like you said, uh, I was surprised... Um, because obviously I did grow up watching a lot of Stephen King stuff, most of it sort of on television in its, uh, you know, a pan and scan and no doubt cut versions. Um, and uh, obviously, you know, like some of the filmmakers we've already talked about on other podcasts like Carpenter and De Palma, they did two of my favourite ones, you know, the, the, the two ladies beginning with C, you know, Carrie and Christine and stuff like that around this time. So... I was surprised that this one had actually um, been one of those ones that, that had passed me by or I didn't remember. Mm. Um, so, yeah, watching this, you, you know, recently, this time round, um, you, you know, like David Cronenberg films anyway, um, I mm. thought that this was a, an absolute treat. Wonderful performance by Christopher Walken back in his, uh, in his slightly sort of more subtle days of performance. <laughs> yeah. Um, really? 
I don't know. <laughs> I have to say, I um, well, I mean, there's some some bits in it where it's not. But so that's subtle. the odd bit. But it, generally speaking, it's like the the ice is going to break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he say, he say, he you. saves it for the moments it's needed. You know what I mean? But um, true. But, he he hadn't become like a, a caricature no, of himself. No, I mean he the, was the, fantastic the, in that film. Exactly. Well, he is fantastic. The, the, the yes. thing with this again, though, it's about um, you know. Uh, 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 this is one of the ones that Dino De Laurentiis produced, but I believe he he brought Deborah Hill on as the sort of main producer. And of course, the screenplay of this as well was adapted by Jeffrey Bone. So uh, again, you've got quite a lot of, um, you know, talent in the mix there, but also, you you know, like you mentioned, some of the other uh, performances, you mentioned Tom Skerritt, but you know, you've got Anthony Zerb in there. So you've got, a, you know, you know, a future Bond villain as Christopher Walken is as well, but but playing, you know, a good, a reasonably decent chap in it and whatever. So, um, yeah, I thought it worked really well on a lot and of Herbert levels. Lom, of course. Herbert Lom, absolutely. Yeah. You can't forget Herbert Lom. I mean, no, it's he a was great. Brilliant. I'm, I'm surprised you did not mention this in your summary, Mike, about go. how the <laughs> the Doctor. Well, no, because the Doctor becomes his. Confidant, yeah, very much. Well, well, he says that you know, if he had a chance to, you know, change the future, would he go and kill Hitler? Yes, he'd kill the son of a bitch. Um, mm. That's one of the, sort of one of the lines. Um, yeah, but I mean, it's, uh, it's yeah. just more than that scene. I mean, you know, he's the first one he reveals um, his secret to. I mean, he also helps Ooh. him by um, he finds the location of his mother, who he thought was you know long oh, dead, that's right, yeah, separated yeah. in World War Two. And you know, and he—he's the the one character who sort of carries on without the whole story because uh, the the whole film is kind of episodic. So yeah. you have like the beginning, where I I, I love the fact that um, you know he he talks about uh, Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and I, of course, he, he plays the headless horseman. Of course. In the Tim Burton yeah. version. Yeah. And also, this is of but, course the first. <laughs> King film that uh, uses uh, Castle Rock as well, isn't it? Yeah, as the setting. Yes. So yeah. uh, the gazebo. Yeah, yeah but I'm um, I'm saying, but the, it's episodic because it it goes from the hospital to um, when he's living with his father. Yeah. To when he's then he he moves out and he's being like a, a private tutor, and then to the end where he you know shakes Greg Stilson's hand. Well, in between, there's the serial kind killer of story as well. Well, yes, as well, but I mean that's that's all kind of you know, as I say, episodic because they one leads into the other into yeah. the other. Well, you can see why um, it was developed into a TV series. I mean, you know, in the early two thousands, yeah. it it was a series starring mm. Anthony Michael Hall as as that character. But the, the weedy thing was, one from the Breakfast Club. Yeah, yeah, but apparently yeah. it was one of these shows. This is why I haven't bothered trying to catch it. It was one of these things that ran for six seasons and then got cancelled before the final season. So it's one of these ones that you invest in and then it doesn't have a conclusion. So yeah. I, I haven't bothered with that one. But you can see why um, this would make a good, you know, in terms of the source material, um, yeah. why it would make a good um basis for for something episodic you know like a television it, it may series. be episodic but i think the film is very tightly very well crafted very well put oh, together oh it is it's it's, it's, it's very it's it, it packs a lot in with its sort of 90 minute yeah. run time um i i i, I want to say i actually saw this when i was a kid mm. and i'm i remember the bit with the scissors 
Well, they cut oh, that yeah. out of the video version when it was released over here. I know I saw it in the cinema. Well, I, 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 I don't know that the version I saw, I remember the, the, the scene with the scissors. Yeah, well, they did. They did. Seriously, I know because I had it because yeah. what I did, I bought the video, yeah. the VHS, and they fucking cut it out. I mean, I remember yeah, they restored it, the it for the DVD. They, they have, restore yeah. restore that for the DVD. I mean, so, that's yeah. a bit freaky, isn't it? Put what a way to kill yourself just put your mouth yeah. down onto a, a piece of surgical scissors well it, it did seem a bit oh. of an over the top way to top yourself I what I thought was say. freaky was all the <laughs> fucked up cowboy shit that was in that bloke's room as well yeah absolutely yeah. don't know what that was trying <laughs> to but tell but I have me. to say that the other scene that freaks me out was the kids underneath the ice yeah and when I was much younger um, a cousin of mine actually slipped under ice and my dad was he fished him out he was mm. very lucky my dad was there but I, I i remember that and then watching this film and seeing all the kids plunging into the ice it really freaked me out and there's still something about that because he's under there and you can see them they're not dead or anything they're still you know they're drowning and he's there with them in a way it reminded me of damien omen too they had a scene on the ice didn't they as well didn't they? Didn't they have someone fall under the ice in Omen 2? Possibly. I think they Possibly. did. But that, I don't... But well, was... I, I didn't see uh, Omen 2 until I was a teenager, so it wouldn't have had the same effect as this film did. Yeah. And also the fact that they're children yeah. that's plunging underneath the ice. So, yeah. you know, who would have been about the same age as I was. Mm. So when you see something like that, it, it freaks you out as a child. Mm. It's one of these films that I've watched and watched and watched, and every time I watch it, it's just... Yeah, I, it really pushes some buttons in me, and I really, I really enjoy watching it now. Because Clive's been silent, we need to find out what he thinks. <laughs> um, uh, I, I mean, I, I've, I've always liked this film, so so no fears on that score. Hey. I mean, one thing though, because I recently rewatched it, and and I was I was surprised how how little Martin Sheen is in it. Uh, because, just because it, because his character really stays with you, this Greg Stilson character. Well, it's all the boards with his face on, isn't it? Well, yeah, I, I mean, but it, it, even then, he doesn't really. You know, you only sort of start to sort of see see mm. him about halfway through, and then he, and then he obviously becomes this sort of main antagonist towards the end. But you see him when mind, he when it, he tries it, it, to. It might, it might, yeah, because it, it's such it's such a sort of like you know prevent the end of the world. It suddenly has his humongous stakes at the yeah. end of the film, and it's been it's quite. Great. It's been quite sort of small and personal story almost up to that yeah. point. You know, he's saving people there here and there. It's episodic, and then suddenly it's like, oh my god, you know, this guy is going to destroy everything, and I'm the only one who can do anything about it. So. Unlike uh, most it, it, King it's... books, I think it ended that the end. Uh, the ending is really great because he no, he normally seems to have trouble ending his books. I have found when I've read them, and I thought that, that uh, for me it's a complete, you know, beginning, middle, you know, end. It's all wrapped up. It's great, you know. Apparently, there was an alternative ending to this where um, he sees. Uh, you know, when when the ex girlfriend hugs him at the end, he sees mm. um, something about her and her her being in danger. You, you know, oh. in the future. So, but apparently, because because obviously they'd like ended Carrie and whatever on a on a sort of twist scare ending thing. Uh, Cronenberg didn't want to do that with this, so he he, he decided yeah. to take that out, which I think he's was sensible. A good move. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Can I just say something? Um, 
I want to say about the the ending of this. I yeah, I know the stakes get bigger, but up to this point, the sort of previous two um, sort of episodes, things that have happened, just shows um, Johnny Smith that he has the ability to change what he sees. Yeah, right? this idea of the of, and, of and, the dead zone. You know exactly what that means. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So it's just so it's kind of like I think it's a nice combination because he was you know if the story was any longer i'm sure he was bound to bump into if not say um you know greg stilson's character then somebody who was going to do a lot of people a lot of harm yeah maybe like a serial killer or something but it was just that nice touch because Mm. you know it's sort of sort of building up because you have the whole greg stilson bored outside his house all the time mm. looking there and he d- he's this looming danger that's coming because he just he's there looming outside the ha- yeah out of his house it's also a very 1980s fear isn't it this this whole you know the nuclear holocaust oh, nuclear holocaust you know yeah. it's just like that it's the height of the cold war when this comes yeah. out and you're seeing you know you're seeing all these uh, films and tv dramas where yeah where where we see what what will happen you know it's just the era of uh, threads the day after you know the the, the war game yeah. Or, or, miracle or, mile yeah miracle mile uh, uh, you know and 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 it, and it just and it, it so but it's funny it's like you watch it now and it doesn't it, it doesn't feel like a dated film to me i mean that's what i was clearly, about to say clive i was gonna yeah. say to me it, it it's one of those rare films that it, it doesn't seem dated and and it's just as relevant you know Mm. Today is, it, I mean, if they did, if they may remade it, it would be some Al Qaeda plot. You know, Jack Bauer was going to have to go and kill it or sort it out or something. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's one of Cronenberg. I actually think it's one of Cronenberg's best, best sort of major studio films he's done, along with The Fly. Um, yeah, and um, it's just top notch from beginning well, to end. Yeah, it's a very, it's a very nice, tight sort of adaptation of what I guess is quite a lengthy novel. From, from no, the book's not that thick. No, no, the book is not it's about, that. It's about an inch thick. It's not the stand. No, okay. Which is which is one of my favourite books he's written. I mean, uh, I I really like I really like the, the Dead Zone, but I do feel that it it's it's one of the least Cronenbergy Cronenberg films, if that makes sense. You know, yeah, uh, it I, is. I, I, I wasn't going to say anything, but I'm going to I'm going to I don't I'm agree. This up. Dave, David Cronenberg's not a big fan of this film. I think it's a shame, because really. he was brought on to do it. I don't think it was something that he was, you know, planning to do. I think he was brought on as a director for hire on this one. And I I have heard that it's one of his least favourite Well, films. that's a shame because I think that he's well known for body horror. And this guy has got the body horror. It's his body. When he touches someone, it causes this extreme event. Um, so I, I still think that there's elements there that Cronenberg would have he may have, oh he, he certainly brought his to, own touch to yeah. it i mean he certainly brought his own touch to it but i'm just saying you know when people say it's it's least cronenbergian film is there's a reason well if you look at some of cronenberg's recent output i think actually it's more cronenberg well, than, just... than a lot of the recent stuff the crapola that he's well, yeah, out. But that, yeah but that's just because his tastes in filmmaking's changed a lot now yeah so i think he's got nothing to be ashamed of with that film at all it's no. it's, it's oh, an excellent movie. But I, I think say... it's probably out of the Dino De Laurentiis produced um, uh, Stephen King films. I think this is probably the strongest one, you know, yeah. out of that little era that he <laughs> he had those titles, you know. Mm. 
yeah, g- given that we we're, we're definitely going to be talking about at least one more, aren't we? Absolutely. <laughs> okay, before we get on to that, I just have one question for you. Mm. If a Stephen King book that you could add, you know, make into a film, what would it be? And it can be, uh, it can be a, a book that has been made, has not been made. But if you, if somebody said, right, here's the money, go out and make a Stephen King film, what would it be? I'd do Salem's Lot. Oh, right. Away. Which has Salem's already been Lot. redone, hasn't it? Once, so yeah. Uh, yeah, but I, I'd make it good. I'd have the vampire. I'd try and make it as scary as fuck and have this vampire that was, you know, like these glitchy, horrible, ghosty characters. It'd be more of a ghostly presence than a, than like, oh, ha, ha, I'm a vampire, you know. Mr. Vincent, you got to show faith, you know, even though Fright Night is brilliant. Um, <laughs> I, I would definitely... Yeah, I was going to say, which I, I think you must have seen the, the remake one. <laughs> oh, really? Well, that, yeah, well, yeah, they've... Um... Oh, they've got what's his name in it? Um, Rug to Hauer as the uh, the vampire. So it's not Nosferatu. No, no, I wouldn't do. I wouldn't do anything like that. I would really seriously <laughs> try. You know, like as you know, is it Thirty Days of Night? Oh, okay, yeah. Where they made vampires actually quite nasty. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd turn the. You know, basically, a vampire is a serial killer. Really, as far as I'm concerned, and a vampire would be this 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 sort of non-compromising serial killer, an unstoppable force, and how they would deal with that, you know, especially when no one else would believe them. So there's it's a bit. I suppose I do a cross between Fright Night and Thirty Days of Night. Ah, yeah. Interesting, Clive. What would your pick be? It's kind of a tough one because the Stephen King novels I've read. Um, they tend to have already been like made into major films that I that I like already. So I'm not really, you know, my favourite Stephen King novel is probably The Shining, and I'm not and I'm not in a hurry to make a film with that one. Oh. Um, <laughs> you know, You'd be up against that one, wouldn't you? Yeah, just a tiny <laughs> bit. Um, so I'm after uh, you know. Uh, so I don't know. I, Maybe I the myth. <laughs> No, I, 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 pro- you know, I might be tempted to sort of uh, look at his short stories to see if there's one of those I could sort of adapt. Running but, Man. Uh, it's funny you say that. Uh, of the stuff I've read, uh, the uh, Running Man, the sort of novella, mm. is absolutely nothing like the movie. Correct. Correct. And, it's not a TV uh, show like that. No. Uh, well, it is a TV show, but it's it's nothing like the one no. that's depicted. Uh, no, it's cross country. It's not set in one locale. Like yeah, I mean, so yeah, mm. I mean, so I mean, that could be interesting. But mm. I mean, the honest answer mm. is that there kind of isn't one at the moment that I, that I found that I would that I that I love. So yeah. okay, okay, Keith, what's your well? Pick? Um, in terms of in terms of what I've read or listened to or whatever in 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 more recent years, um. I do remember a few years back when I was kind of doing my little obsession on The Shining. Um, I, I got when I when I signed up with Amazon, I got one of these free audible audio book things. And it was an unabridged book as well. Um, re- really okay. good to sort of multitask when you're driving. Um, and it was of his and it was called? it was of his novel called Doctor Sleep, okay, which is kind of a oh. sequel to The Shining. Yeah. Oh. Um, it's uh, yeah. it, it sort of takes place uh, thirty years after the the events of The Shining, and it and it and it focuses around Danny Torrance now as an adult, um, but sort of going down his his father's <laughs> path of you know 
alcoholism and things of that nature. Um, and uh, it was, you know, it was, it, was, it was actually quite an interesting story. And what I sort of thought to myself was, oh, if I was going to remake something, or, or sorry, if I was going to make something out of one of his films, uh, sorry, one of his novels, it would be quite interesting to try and make this, but actually it would need a lot of adaptation, but try and make it as a sequel to Kubrick Shining rather than a sequel to the novel The Shining if that makes sense. Did you not want to make it your own film then? <laughs> no, no, no. I'd want to make it my own film. But what I'm talking about is I'd take the plot points that were changed for the, for the film The Shining and apply it to this film 30 years on, if that makes sense. So, um, yeah, I, I, I try okay. and adapt that. But, I mean, obviously, that's a very bold statement to say, oh, I'll try and make it a sequel to uh, Kubrick Shining, you know, like as if. But... Um, <laughs> But, well, yeah. but I mean, I, I can I can understand your thinking because if they if they are going to go and make that book into a film, I think that's the way they would want to go because because everybody knows Kubrick's The Shining, yeah. And so you know, if you can say, oh, it's a direct sequel to this, people will go and see it. Yeah, yeah. you'd be fucked though, wouldn't you? You'd be fucked from day one, no matter what director was on that film. Oh god, yeah. You yeah. Might well, yeah. Not even yeah. Fucking bother. Yeah. But I mean, it's far it's far enough on in terms of story. You, you know that it, it could be you know it could be done it could be set like now and um but but you know this one sprang to mind just because it's the most recent one um that hasn't been adapted made into a tv show or a film at the moment that uh, that that i've uh, that i've experienced so um mm. probably uh look probably the reason why that. they haven't <laughs> Well, yeah, it was only it was only released about four years ago, so who mm. knows? It's probably in the works. <laughs> How about you, Simon? What would you do? I would do Gerald's game. You guys not okay. know this one? Sounds like an old ITV series that I saw years ago about spies or something. Is that is that the Bondage Gone Wrong one, Simon? Yes, it's the Bondage Gone Wrong one. It's about a, a couple who um, <laughs> go to a cabin in the woods, and she gets. Um, you know, handcuffed to the bed, and the husband has a heart attack on top of her. Mm -hmm. Oh, right! And she's stuck there. She's stuck there for the whole story, and it's it's really well done. And there is a scene in it that, when I was reading it, made me feel sick. Mm. Absolutely, made me feel sick. Even more sick than the hobbling scene in the in Misery. Wow, Sounds like the sort of thing Richard Knott would want to make. Oh. Some woman in her <laughs> underwear tied up in handcuffs. <laughs> Ashley, you're you're not far wrong. <laughs> <that's the truth. laughs> well, you'd only need you'd but only it's... need one location at least by the, yeah, the sound bedroom. Ah, uh, well, <laughs> no. This is again. This is this is how um, I think why Stephen King writes these kinds of stories very well because it's it it goes outside what's happening, but it's not like you're following somebody else. It's um, while she's handcuffed, they're trying to escape. You have uh, another character who uh, who's kind of like haunting her, and you don't know if it's her imagination or if it's real. And also, she's um, re-examining her past and kind of, you know, going to a point with how did she get herself into this position, you know? And it's it's you know it's it's one of these books that I've actually I've actually actively seen if I could get the rights for. Does it resonate with some of your previous sexual ex escapades in the past, Simon? 
<laughs> no, Mike. You never found yourself handcuffed to a bed and someone left you. No, Mike. I don't know where no. your missus. Oh, dear. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, I I recommend you go and read it. It sounds like you're kind of God, book, I was worried Mike. what you're going to say then. Yeah, he still hasn't stopped watching the Hillside Strangler yet. No, That's the it's, it's, I've managed to uh, put it onto like uh, five copies onto one Blu-ray. So I can watch it on repeat. It's brilliant. All right. Well, anyway, um, moving on. Um, hell. So, yes. So, Keith, what is your pick for movie hell? All right. All right, well, my pick for movie hell, to be honest, isn't strictly a Stephen King adaptation, but I think the story behind this is actually quite interesting, so I thought I'd pick it. It is uh, from 1992, uh, The Lawnmower Man, okay, which uh, basically I, rem the, I remember this being... Um, there were posters all over our local cinema for this, and it said... Uh, Stephen King's The Lawnmower Man, you know, based on the uh, short story by Stephen King, all, all of these sort of things. And while mm. I, I had a good friend, my good friend Gary um, used to work at the local cinema. And uh, I remember there was a big hoo-ha where all of the posters uh, had to be recalled. Um, in fact, when I next go to my parents, I need to check in their attic to see whether I've actually got one of the original posters of this because I've got quite a lot up there. It might be um, it might be worth something. They all had to be recorded and had Stephen King's name removed from it, as did the. Uh, mm -hmm. This was this was the day when everything was still on film, and you had big platters of film in the projection uh, booths, and they had to remove one of the reels and replace it. Um, you, you know, the reel that had his name in it. Uh, and, and yeah, basically, you know, he sued them and, and had his name removed from this. And Is, is it because it's such a good film? No, what, what it is, is because other than the title, it bears no resemblance to any story Stephen King has ever written. Okay, even the short film, oh, sorry, the short story that they took the title from uh, has nothing to do with this film. So it, it, it's, it's like calling... Spaceballs, Lawrence of Arabia, just because there's a scene in the desert, you know, yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. that, that, that's, that's how, uh, you know, sort of relevant it is. So really, um, this, this, you know, I picked his movie, Hell, isn't actually a true Stephen King adaptation, although it's, it's using one of his titles, which is The Lawnmower Man, which was a short film, uh, a short story that he wrote. Um, it's, it's in one of his collections. But uh, the film itself, um, Stars Jeff Fahey, probably in the best shape he was ever in in his career, and uh, a pre-Bond Pierce Brosnan um, as a scientist. And it basically, what it what it revolves around is is the use of virtual reality. Although, you, you know, the, the 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 filmmaker Brett Leonard, this is one of the sort of themes and one of the areas that he was quite interested in in his works. I have to say the way they've kind of squeezed it into this story is a bit bizarre. It's 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 the idea is uh, virtual reality is supposed to be used in conjunction with a drug that's developed by Dr. Lawrence Angelo, who's played by Brosnan um, for this this big corporate conglomerate called Virtual Space Industries. 
And the idea is that it's supposed to cure um, mental illnesses such as Alzheimer's, um, you know, and things of that nature. And what they do is that that they begin in a very sort of um, uh, a very a very sort of um, like like they do in Rise of the Planet of the Apes, sort of at the beginning. Is is you know they're 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 testing this drug on on chimpanzees, and they've got these chimpanzees in this virtual reality uh, rig, and and they're trying to give chimpanzees intelligence uh, using virtual reality as the tool. Now, this this all goes, as most of these films do, horribly wrong. And the chimpanzee escapes and ends up killing a, a, a few employees and, uh, you know, ultimately gets killed itself. And the whole program gets uh, put on ice. And um, uh, Pierce Brosnan's character basically, you know, is a bit depressed about his work being put on hold, his, his relationship with his... Uh, his wife or his girlfriend i'm not too sure what she is but that all sort of falls through and, and and he's sort of somewhat depressed well while all this is going on the community that he lives in um there is a guy that mows the lawn hence the lawnmower man played by uh, jeff fahey <coughs> and uh, jeff fahey plays a uh, a rather simple uh sort of retarded if, if that's not the, the right thing man. to say guy uh, that, that most people's lawn. You mean mentally challenged? Mentally challenged. Yeah, mentally yeah. a retard. Uh, you know, <laughs> I was thinking. Unfortunately, I was thinking Tropic Thunder. <laughs> In terms of his performance. Yeah, Jeff Fahey went full, full retard. retard. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and uh, basically, what 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 ends up happening is. Uh, these experiments, his drug and the virtual reality, he starts using on on Jeff Fahey's character, who's called uh, uh, Job in the in the film, um, to 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 see if he can sort of increase and enhance his intelligence. Now, uh, this this obviously works, and and you know, uh, Job suddenly becomes, you, you know, more intelligent, more powerful, uh, and gets to a point which is. You know, if I have to liken it to anything um, Stephen King, apart from it being sort of a sci-fi horror film, um, you, you know, and quite sort of macabre. But one, one of the things that it does involve in the end is uh, telekinesis and mind reading and things of that nature. And obviously we've had quite a few Stephen King stories that have that have dealt dealt with that. Um, so he starts to get this power where he can like read minds and control minds and move things with his mind to the point where he can actually make the lawnmower mow the lawns without him doing anything <laughs> just by thinking about it. Um, you've got a few. Uh, incidentally, you've got other actors in this, including um, there's quite a young yeah. Dean Norris in there for any sort of. Uh, you know, uh, Breaking Bad fans. Uh, obviously, Dean Norris is now involved in Under the Dome, which is a Stephen King uh, or, you know, a Stephen King adaptation. Uh, he's in there as the sort of leader of the corporate company, the bad guy. And Jeffrey Lewis is in it doing a really over-the-top Irish accent for some reason. So I'm not, not too sure why that is. Um, so, yeah, this all becomes, uh, you know, it all gets to a point where this guy's becoming very dangerous and gets this sort of God complex and wants to 
take over the world. And the way he's going to do that is via the mainframe. Um, now, one of the reasons that I picked this for hell, apart from the, you know, Stephen King having his name taken off of it, is is it, it, this this it's film shit. hasn't re- well this film hasn't really lasted the test of time. It doesn't really stand up today. Um, obviously, the way things have gone with with the internet, um, you, you know, it, it doesn't really hold up. The other thing is this was. The visual effects in this, which uh, to quote the, although this is a quote from The Sun, but to quote what's on the front of the DVD case, it says, effects better than Terminator 2. Yeah, right. Um, The the effects in Tron, which was made 10 years earlier than this, were better than the the visual effects in this. Um, Tron still looks good. Exactly. Tron still looks great. Terminator 2 looks amazing, obviously. Uh, This uh, looks very um 80s computer graphics uh fucking worse graphics than doom yeah well i mean to the point where well well we're we're in part of the story where job is going and getting but he basically gets revenge on a lot of people who have been nasty to him and what one of the people was the uh the the local priest um had been quite evil to uh to the the character of job in this so he actually goes and he makes this guy burn but the 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 cgi effects for for him burning are just well laughable really they would have been much better doing it the old-fashioned way and having a stunt (laughs) double yeah exactly on fire because it it just it just looked appalling so you, you know whereas the film you know, it's not awful all round. I just don't think that it really lasts the test of time. And that plus the fact that, um, you, you know, they tried to cash in on Stephen King's name when really all of they'd taken was the title. Um, and cash in on the VR you know. thing that was going around at the time as well. I remember. Well, yeah, this was the sort of seminal film. Shite. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. This yeah, was kind yeah. of the first film to to delve into that in this way, apart from Tron, obviously. But that wasn't VR. That was obviously a person going into no, the into the film. computer. Yeah. So well, when I saw this, I was studying computers at the time, and as you say, uh, VR was a big thing, and it was uh, people were predicting that it would be the future of computing, which never quite happened. But um, yeah, I mean, the film does feel like it's gone. Oh. VR, it's the hottest thing going. Let's get a story together and let's um, let's let's have this, you know, there. I don't think VR has been shooed in, you know, shoehorned in, but it it's certainly, you know, it, it doesn't help the story. Shall I tell you something else, right? I even got hold of the computer game of the film. The graphics were worse than the film. <laughs> and um, Oh, it was such a waste of time. I, I watched it in the cinema, paid good money for it, and I was like, oh, absolute pony is the way I'd describe that. And um, I'm glad, and I can see why Stephen King wanted his name off of it because it was a shameless cash in at the time on the VR craze. I mean, I even went to one of these. Do you ever go to the thing in the Trocadero, Sega, when they had a massive the yes. Sega arcade? They had a special thing which was like, come and experience VR. And I went in there and queued for hours and paid lots of money. And it was just like, you know, fucking wireframe graphics in some headset that weighed a ton. That, you know, I mean, obviously, Sony these days, they're going to bring out VR next year. I think Xbox have got their own version as well, possibly. Um, but oh, this is like woeful, woeful, 
woeful. I, I, I remember the, it was uh, Sega World at Tropic That's the one, and, yeah. And it wasn't as sort of entertaining as it was in the film because it was literally you were just walking around and looking at things. And, yeah. You know, so look at this amazing virtual reality we've got, the view walking around in a room with red painted walls with computers. Yeah, it's yeah. great. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks a fucking bunch, Sega. <laughs> <laughs> But isn't a lot of this a bit of the wisdom of hindsight, you know, like looking at it now, oh, isn't it quaint and everything? I Whereas... don't know, isn't it quaint? It's more, isn't it bollocks? Is it... I just thought it was bollocks at the time, Clive. I'm sorry. I thought it was okay. Uh, at the time. Uh, I, this is I... where you go, I liked it. No, <laughs> at the time, I remember I remember seeing it and being no. quite uh, and being quite impressed with the Oh, graphics. my God. I was I was young at the time, you <laughs> An know. Impressionable. Like, <laughs> you, you, you know, you're telling me like compared to, to the graphics on like the Commodore Amiga or this Atari ST, this wasn't impressive. You know, it's uh, I, you know, I, I think I wouldn't, I don't agree that it's more, it's even better than Terminator Two, uh, but but you know, they were, you know, they did seem to be. The film was bad. Good. They just tried to develop a narrative and then it's, throw it's, in this special effects stuff. It's very cheesy, and it's an it's a very cheesy Frankenstein knockoff. It's not a good film, but oh. at, all I'm saying is, at the time, how dare you compare uh, it to that classic, that literary classic? <laughs> well, it's the same story. He said it was a Frankenstein knockoff. Yeah. You know, knockoffs oh, are okay. usually bad. So, you know, for, uh, for me, when I saw it at the time. You know, it, it 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 looked it looked it looked new and shiny. It looked different to other things, but to anything I've seen at the time. So that in itself made it sort of interesting. You know, and yeah. um, it's the same reason know, I went. You know, uh, so uh, but you know, obviously coming back to it, it's uh, it, that stuff hasn't held up at, at all. And then you're just left with the story and the performances, which are the performances are on the broad side. Let's just say that, and the and the story is 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 silly. So, Who directed this piece of crap? Brett Leonard. What's he done? Uh, he went on to do that other virtual reality one with Denzel Washington and. Um, uh, oh, virtuosity! Yeah, all right. That's that's quite that, that's Which... quite fun, isn't it? Mm. So yeah. I remember. Yeah. yeah, I think he'd done some stuff for IMAX as well. Some of their early three D. Oh, okay. Um, Films. Well, he also oh, do. Do you remember the Peter Gabriel video, uh, "Kiss the Frog"? Right, yeah. where it had the, those kind of uh, video graphics. Mm. Well, he directed that. Oh, yeah, right. well, that's probably why he got the job. This film was actually well. No, actually, he directed out, that. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, it had a lot of punters. I, I, I remember it being a big, being like a big deal when it came out. Um, mm. I mean, it was. It must have been big enough to you know to merit a sequel. If Stephen King had his name removed from the poster, does that mean he would have not got any residuals? Yeah, well, I mean, he got... Yeah. I, I think he sued them anyway. Um, oh, right. He got his residuals I, I, that I, way. I remember, I remember it being a big deal at the cinema, you know, because I knew someone who worked there. As I said, my friend Gary worked there, and it was a big deal that they had to change certain reels of the film print and they had to uh, you know remove posters and all that sort of thing because of the uh <coughs> because of Only king's name, name being on it um but but you know it to, to be fair as i said that is the only um thing that it shares is is, is the title the actual yeah. um there's not a premise or anything that, that comes mm. from the short story so 
it, it, it's completely uh, a different piece of work. And and I guess they were kind of cashing in on his because don't forget, you know, mi- misery, which we've already talked about, was only the year before this. So, um, you know, which had won Academy Awards and, you know, was very, very high regarded. So I'm sure that the filmmakers and the production company and the distributor wanted to uh, jump on that success. So anything that they attached Stephen King's name to would generate the interest, you know. Well, in those years, um, Stephen King was on a roll. Anything with Stephen King's name on was actually quite good. You know, he had uh, Carrie, obviously. And, um, you know, I don't know whether The Shining, was that made after? I can't remember. Must have been. Yeah, well, Carrie was 76. Um, the Shining was 80. Christine, you had, uh, you know, Christine, 83, I think. Uh, Christine was. And, of course, uh, Misery was 91. Mm. Yeah. Was it 91? 91. I mean, his name was 91. a bankable, yeah. well, probably still is oh, a gotcha. bankable thing these days. Then. Mm. But he did, it was like the early years were some of his better works probably or his most well-known works i mean i yeah. don't really know i've not really kept up i looked on his bibliography and he's done like 50 novels and you know i don't know about probably about 40 of them you know yeah yeah well he yeah. obviously he had the power at this stage in his career to have his yeah. name removed from something um yeah you know he possibly wanted his name removed from earlier adaptations who knows but uh, mm. You, you know, but to be fair, as I said, you, you know, this this other than being in the same sort of genre and having a few the- thematic things in it, uh, like telekinesis or whatever, it bears no resemblance to any of his his other work or, or indeed the, uh, the the short story. So that's why he had his name removed. And that's why I thought for that very reason, I thought I'd choose it as movie hell. So moving on, mm. uh, Clive, what is your pick for movie hell? My pick for Movie Hell is the 1984 Stephen Kenner adaptation, Firestarter. (laughs) Twisted Firestarter. Directed by... Drew, annoying Drew Barrymore. Uh, Directed by Mark L. Lister. Yes, also featuring uh, Drew Barrymore in one of of her first post-ET roles. Um, And, uh, yeah, this is is the story of... uh, uh, Charlie McGee and her father Andy McGee, and uh, who are fugitives from a shadowy government organisation, is after them because, uh, well, because Andy and uh, and his and his wife uh, Vicky went uh, underwent some experimental drug treatments, which resulted in them uh, gaining uh, tele telekinetic powers and uh, and yeah, different psionic powers. And it and it's meant that uh, their offspring Charlie is is a literal fire starter. She can start fires with her mind. Did this come out the same time as Scanners? Uh, year year after, yeah. I think. Yeah, because mm, was... that was a good film. Yes, it was. Because there was wasn't there the Fury <laughs> as well? And, uh, telekinesis the, the, was a the, bit the, of a thing yeah, the, at that the, time. The, the Fury was a bit earlier, uh, but <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I mean uh, the Fury. The Fury is also good. I mean, very dark. But uh, mm. uh, we're talking about a film which isn't quite so good as as those or as Carrie. Um, uh, okay, so as I say, you have these you have these two central characters who are running away from this government organization, and uh, and, and we see through flashback uh, the, the the trials that led to uh, uh, led, led to the 
you know the whole thing being set up and also you, you get uh, you see uh, uh, Martin Sheen appearing in his second Stephen King film of uh, of of the podcast um as uh, as as a sort of leader of the uh, of the shadowy organization who 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 wants uh who, who wants to weaponize Drew Barrymore essentially um so so with it, with the help of sort of various sort of doctors and, and shadowy uh, men in suits, they, they, they managed to get sort of uh, kidnap her and her father and uh, bring them into this institute. Uh, her father, is, he seems to sort of reach a limit in terms of what he can do with his um, uh, power, which is basically to influence people's minds to do what he wants, to sort of push them in a direction. Uh, but uh, but it, it's a big drain on him, and uh, he's uh, he, he doesn't seem to be as powerful as uh, as, as as young uh, young Charlie. So uh, so so they sort of dope him up and keep him out of the way. And uh, this uh, well, this is where we start getting into the problematic elements of the story. Uh, George C. Scott plays uh, Native American uh, assassin mm-hmm. John mm-hmm. Rainbird. Yeah, just roll that idea around in your head for a moment George Scott is, <laughs> is a great actor and you know this isn't too far away from him doing great work at things like The Changeling same year his adaptation the TV adaptation of Christmas Carol that he was in as Scrooge came out so you know he's, he's, he's still firing on all cylinders but he's completely miscast in this it's just way off I mean that even leave, leaving aside that you just never buy him as a as a Native American guy for a moment. He, he just he just seems <laughs> he, he, he just seems like like someone who, who just likes wearing Native American style clothing, um, and that's and that's his that's his thing. He just doesn't have long hair. It's it's really, didn't they put really, some fake tan on him as well? A little bit, but it's yeah. it's just very odd. I mean, and this. Racist. <laughs> it's 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 a really unfortunate uh, sort of casting because it's not like there weren't any good, uh, good Native American actors around at this time. I mean, I know he's a name, and but they already had some other names in this, so you would kind of would have thought they wouldn't have needed that. It, uh, but the other thing is that uh, part of the sort of the sort of plot turn in this is that uh, John Rainbird, uh, the George C. Scott character, is sort of pretends to be this nice kindly old sort of janitor guy who, who who's supposed to sort of befriend drew barrymore and sort of get uh, you know get her out of her shell and sort of get her to sort of start playing ball with the authorities it's a bit creepy isn't it, it it's it's super creepy you know and <laughs> I, I, it's it's it all it, it half works because because uh, charlie seems quite naive uh but it but it's it's really is quite creepy and yeah, I don't think that really works. Um, so, I mean, that's the big problem, and, and it's sort of, and then it obviously build, it builds up to this sort of big end piece where, 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 where Charlie sort of, you know, unleashes her full powers against the people that have been sort of oppressing her, and sort of tries to rescue her dad. Um, Fucking kills everyone, burns everyone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, 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 there's fireballs galore in this. Um, <laughs> it, 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 and it, it's a sort of crazy Gonzo finale. I mean, I mean, it would know, have been challenging is... filming that, wouldn't it, with all the real fire flying around? That's the only. That's I the only. It just looks so terrible. 
it's uh, no no god no it looks terrible i mean you can see the wires and everything it just it, the, the fireballs yeah look absolutely yeah. terrible yeah uh, i mean so all right so you got the you got that problem with the central with like a miscasting one the central people and the other the other thing is is the, the tone just veers wildly from from high camp uh, uh to like deadly serious and it just sort of chops and changes all the time I mean, Mark mm. Lister, you know, after this, he goes on to make Commando. Like I was going to say, year. he made Commando, yeah. yeah which is well, like, he's which definitely, is... yeah, I mean, he's definitely um, more of a, a director that's much more focused on action sequences than acting, because mm. the, 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 the performances in this, and you have got a reasonably good cast in this, as it happens. Pretty woeful. The performances are, are pretty unconvincing and... and, mm. and uh, yeah, it's just a bit jarring. The other thing I found jarring with it is the Tangerine Dream score, which obviously was very vogue around that time, but it didn't seem to work with the film at all to me. No, it, it's. I mean, uh, I'm a big fan of some of this stuff around here. I mean, I think Miracle, the Miracle Mars soundtrack is great. Um, you know, Sorcerer soundtrack, but uh, but this is, it. Yeah, it just does not fit at all, does it? Yeah. No. no, I, I agree. It's a pile of shit. And, and also, I kind of, it's kind of laughable the sort of uh, uh, wind machine effect that they use on, on a Drew Barrymore. Every well, that's time like an 80s metal use video power. effect, it's isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, in the hair metal like, days, it, 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 I mean, it, it doesn't help. And uh, I, I almost sort of preferred the the uh, fireballs on, uh, you know, on bits of string ending to this to some of the sort of fire starting throughout the film which just seems to be like uh, uh y- y- you can always hear the bit like just before they cut into the shot where, where it's like okay okay light him up Chaz and and then they mm. uh, and then you just see that like obvious stuntmen would, would like, would, like <laughs> lit up on their on their sleeve like like waving their arms around it's hey, at least just... they used real fire and not the uh, lawnmower man CGI. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, but I, they didn't have CGI back then. Look, exactly. You know, it, it, it's it's just not very. It's just never very convincing. Um, yeah. And uh, you get some really good, as you say, there's some really good actors, and I, you just feel that they're pretty ill served by. I mean, the, the script is occasionally a bit on the nose, but it's not terrible. But the it's, but the direction is very off. And, um, you know, I mean, David Keith, uh, he's, he's just come off doing an officer and gentleman on this. And obviously, he goes on to do really good work and, uh, and good character work and stuff like White of the Eye, which is a really uh, like underrated sort of horror slasher from, 19, from 1987. Um, and, you know, Freddie Jones, sort of stalwart of uh, David Lynch movies. Heather Locklear here in a sort of mid TJ Hooker uh, nice. period of her career, like a bit of, of Heather Locklear uh, popping yeah. up uh, all too briefly. Sadly, um, you know you got other people, <laughs> Art Carney, Louise Fletcher, you know even Antonia Fargas sort of pops up at one point, and it's hey Huggy Bear. <laughs> it, it, you know it, it, this is the sort of thing where the danger is where we describe it like this. It sounds like like it's like a so bad it's good film. You know that it's just like a cheese tastic sort of thing, but the thing is, it's it's not. It doesn't go that far that way in order to be a super entertaining film. It's just it just doesn't really work. It's neither it's neither one thing or or, or t'other. You know, 
don't know about yeah. you, but I just don't find the fact of some little child just setting things on fire particularly, you know, scary. I mean, yeah, young I mean, young that, people have been doing well, that for, for decades. You know, <laughs> I, I, uh, that's that's good. Uh, I, I I mean, I find the idea of burning to death a scary thing, but but it's it's so. You know, and 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 I, you know, I've I've read like part of the novel, and uh, it, it's it's quite it's quite a grim toned novel. It's quite sort of you know, you really feel that that whole thing of them being on the run. Mm. It, I almost wonder whether it would have made a better TV series in a sort of like uh, uh, almost an Incredible Hulk, the Fugitive sort of mm. style thing, where they where they're running away. And uh, you know, I doubt I'm not it. Sure. I doubt I'm, it. I'm not, I'm not sure how she's going to help people each week with her by, she by can help starting camp fires, and start their fires. Well, it'd be more of a case of trying to hide from the yeah. authorities and hide her abilities, but then something happens which forces her hand, and she has to set fire to things, yeah. and then she has to move right, on. There you go. Uh, we've writes yeah. itself. Uh, actually, actually the. Actually, the uh, the the corporate <laughs> stroke government, um, you know, that they call the shop or whatever, is actually something that that's the same company organization from the lawnmower man as well. You know, the sort of evil, corrupt, wanting to use these things for military and whatever they use. That, so um, you're saying they're responsible for two bad movies, Keith? That's, there you that's, go. That's unbelievable. <laughs> they really, they really are evil. Yeah, and and apparently they did make a. I've not seen it, but they they had a two part uh, television movie sequel to this called uh, Firestarter Rekindled, which I do like the title. But, well, there um, was an actual sequel. Uh, there was a sequel film. Oh, was it? I thought it was a TV. Yeah, it's called two-parter. Firestopper. <laughs> no, I I I know there's there's a there's a film sequel. I'm sure they did a TV one as well. Right, you're not getting confused with Carry the Rage, are you? Because that was a film, Ooh. but I'm, I'm sure oh, Firestar was a TV. Oh, shit, yes. No, I, I sorry, you're there's, right. There's, yeah. I, I think yeah. There, there's a yeah. bit of a blurred line with some of these as to whether they were TV movies uh, that, that that got a theatrical release in some places and or whether they were movies. Mm. But, but maybe maybe we should just move, move uh, on. Draw, draw a veil over Firestarter. Yeah, uh, yeah perhaps for a uh, fire. And asbestos. Let's throw a bucket of water on it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, well. Moving from one, one pile of shit to some shit weasels. What? <laughs> You've not watched this one, have What's you, Mike? That? Oh, shit weasels. Yeah, I get what he's talking about. Shit weasels. My pick is Dreamcatcher. Right. Okay. I won't comment because I've not seen it. And, and Dreamcatcher has these creatures that burrow its way out of your ass, and they're called shit weasels. I like the concept. Yeah. I, it's, now, <laughs> the thing is, I read the book, and in the book, it works really well, the story does. Uh, but unfortunately, um, I feel with the film that they were too faithful, that they just followed every beat that's in the book. So the director is Lawrence Kasdan and the writer is William Goldman. So you think, ooh, winning combination. Mm. Yet for some reason, it, it they just failed. It just didn't work. Now, so you're introduced to the four main characters. So we got Thomas Jane again. In this film, so for every good Thomas Jane performance, you get a bad Thomas Jane performance in a Stephen King adaptation. Um, you know, he's a psychiatrist, but he has special abilities. But you're just dropped. This is just dropped on you. 
you it's it's not sort of gently introduced you're dropped into it and then you meet the his four friend his other friends uh beaver played by jason lee jonesy played by damian lewis and pete played by timothy olfant and you kind of see each one's power but you you have no idea where they got these powers from or why or and see in the book you'll have a whole sort of backstory that Stephen King will write for like a page or two be in the middle of this action. He does go on a bit sometimes. Yeah, but with good reason, so that you know when the, what the character is doing, why he's doing it. So when, say, the Timothy Olfant character, Pete, is trying to find this lady's uh, keys, you know exactly what what's happening. Instead of you just sitting there going, what? Huh? But they don't explain the powers. They don't not at that point. They 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 flash back to it later. I mean, really, they should have start off at the point where the four of them are off out hunting in the woods in the mm. snow. But we have this whole introduction, and we have this whole bit where uh, Jonesy, played by Damien Lewis, gets mowed down because um, by the lawnmower man. Well, at that point, <laughs> no, <laughs> he's he's crossing the road, and then suddenly he sees something, and he just walks straight into oncoming traffic. And when he's in the ambulance, he has a, a vision of a character called Duditz telling him, beware Mr. Grey. Or as he puts it, beware Mr. Grey. Yeah, he went full, didn't he? You're not selling it to me, Simon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, of course not, because it's a terrible film. But, I mean, what it is, it's about an alien invasion. Um, this spacecraft has crashed in uh... the middle of this forest. And it's in the, it's the middle of winter. It's snowy. And these four guys are out there. They're, they're on a trip hunting. They have an anal and, probe. Well, they have a, a shit weasel to deal <laughs> with. And, uh, yeah, it's... So you, you have these four characters trying to survive, you know, <coughs> against these sort of, this alien invasion. And But also you have the military as well that's been led by Morgan Freeman, who's, whoa, you know... Not only is he playing over the top, but he's got the biggest bushy eyebrows you've ever seen. It looks like two moths have landed there and, you know, and made a nest. <laughs> and he has uh, Tom Sizemore as his, you know, as a lieutenant. I, I know, I, it's, you have to see it to believe it. I'm just saying, there, you've got there's enough, all these sort of, you know, pretty good, good actors in this. I you? know. And, it's, and you're thinking, how the hell did they screw it up? And I think it's just that they were just too faithful to the to the book that instead of maybe putting the flashbacks at the beginning, so that way we can sort of see these characters as kids and then see them get the powers, or we go straight to the forest and all of this stuff is told in flashback or told through dialogue. Because it's a long film. I mean, it's over two hours long. Jonesy's been taken over by one of these aliens and he's trying to get to a water source, a reservoir, so that he can infect the rest of the country. Uh, his remaining friend, Henry, played by Thomas Jane, because the other two get killed off in quite nasty fashion, um, has to try and stop him. Then you've got Morgan Freeman, who wants to destroy the, you know, all these people who have been infected. And then you've got Times Tom Sizemore who's trying to help him and stop him, and it's just it's just this mess. It is an absolute mess. And then and then you get the the, the most funniest moment. And it should be in the book. It's it's really nice and heartwarming. You you get to see Duddits as an adult, 
and it's played by Donnie Wahlberg. And Donnie Wahlberg has gone full retard. <laughs> <laughs> so in the book, he's he's a big Scooby Doo fan, and so they they brought this into the film, and he does say, "Scooby Doo, we got some work to do." <laughs> Great dialogue. <laughs> Oh dear! Oh, you know, and yeah, it's 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 just not a very good film. But I I I will say another person who really camps it up and is awful in it is Damien Lewis. Damien Lewis came off um, Band of Brothers to and from from that went to do this film, where he's playing an American, but yet when the alien takes him over, he has a very oh hello I'm English oh Jonesy. <laughs> And oh man, it's just ah, oh, it's just terrible. It's just really misjudged. And for for everything that works in the book, just doesn't work on in the film. And it's just ah, uh, it's yeah. I mean, it's, it has to be seen to be believed. What do you guys think about it? Well, um, yeah. I mean, I agree that overall it doesn't work. Um, for you know. But it's not a bad, I mean, Lawrence Kasdan um, had obviously written a lot of effects films over the years, but not actually made one. So this was kind of his, his, you know, foray into going into something with more special effects. And, Mm. you know, some of the character stuff, like like you said, I mean, obviously Damien Lewis, who is now huge, um, at the time he'd done a lot of television uh, he had been in Band of Brothers, and obviously this was kind of his first sort of big Hollywood movie um, kind of deal. But when 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 he's not doing the alien using his British accent, um, when he's doing the American accent and all of the stuff with the with the guys with Jason Lee and Timothy Oliphant, uh, Thomas Jane, you know some of that banter and some of that character stuff, I think was actually working quite nice in the film. The other thing they do quite well in this film, which is obviously a little bit sort of stand by me and, 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 and it to a certain extent is when they do the, 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 the flashbacks, the, um, the kids story, uh, you know, the casting and whatever of that was, was, was pretty decent. Um, I thought, you know, these young versions worked quite nicely. Well, the, yeah. The thing... I, can I just say, I thought the kid who played Duddits was very good. Yeah. So it was, I think, having Donnie Wahlberg play him as older, yeah. I think sort of took that away because you were going, oh, my God, it's Donnie Wahlberg. Yeah. I mean, the the, 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 the things, and I'm surprised that I'm even going to say this, right, because he's so mm-hmm. fine in most things. But the, 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 the performance that let it down, believe it or not, was actually from Morgan Freeman, where... I don't know quite what he, like you said, he had these ridiculous eyebrows. I don't know what was going on there, but, but actually, um, you know, he, he really sort of hammed himself up in this film and it, it did seem a bit jarring really, because he does, he's not an actor that needs to do a lot with a wonderful voice like he has, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I think, it, I think it had some pacing issues as well. Like you said, it is quite a long film and it did feel it. Um, but, you know, it certainly it isn't a badly made film, um, you know, I feel. And apparently, it, you know, because it, it was a bit of a commercial flop and it did sort of ruin some future projects for, for Lawrence Kasdan, sadly, which is a shame because I think Lawrence Kasdan's a very good writer and a very good filmmaker. 
But but like you said, the ingredients were there for this to actually be quite good, but it did seem to lack something. And uh, yeah, I, I get where you're coming from, even though I didn't think it was terrible, but uh, it didn't quite hit all the notes. What about you, Clive? Well, I watched this. I mean, I, I hadn't, you know, I've not read the novel. Um, so I didn't have that sort of thing that Simon had going into it about, you know, this isn't as good as the novel. Oh, um, can I just say but, something? Um, mm. When I watched it originally, I hadn't okay, read the novel. Okay, fair enough. I actually, I found, I found the novel in the charity shop and I thought, I, I want to I want to see if the book's as bad as the film. And it turned out that the book was really good. Okay, that's fair enough. Um, so, I mean, I went, I went into it but not having, uh, you know, not having read the book. and but But knowing its reputation as being this terrible Stephen King adaptation, uh, so I was kind of pleasantly surprised about the first about the first hour of the film. I found I, I really I really I like the sort of central group of guys. I, I thought that, that, that their sort of relationship was painted really well, and I liked the mystery. I was like, oh, "How's this going to play out?" And then when the alien stuff comes in, it feels like a massive gear change. And then when Margaret, Morgan Freeman turns out, suddenly it's like we're in a different film. And it's like, this isn't the film you promised me. I was in this really good film, and now we're in this crappy uh, this crappy B-movie. What's going on? Um, so it's it sort of, for me, it sort of takes a nose drive in the second part. I, I didn't mind the Damien Lewis stuff. That seemed kind of of a piece with what else was going on. But I, I do have a theory about Morgan Freeman, which I want to share with the group. Um, my, the, my theory is that when Morgan Freeman is asked to play like a, an out-and-out out villain, it never goes well. <laughs> oh, God, so yeah, it, so, because um, Hard Rain. We just want the money! Because, because Hard Rain, because uh, yeah. Wanted, uh, because uh, Chain Reaction, because of this film... Uh, this film is this. This may be the worst Morgan Freeman performance I've seen. If they're uh, off it, playing nice guys or bad guys that are nice. What? Well, I mean, no, it's just uh, it, it's especially if the, if the bad guys are kind of very one note. If they just want it one, you know, it's like this guy is just the military guy. You know, it's like he doesn't want to retire. It just it, I never I never really believe him in it at all. Um, mm. And it, it's like you know he's got the voice, he's got the presence. What you think? Oh well, it, it makes sense then. But I, I, just, I struggle to think of a film where Morgan Freeman has played the villain, which is where it's where it's ended up well. You know, mm. um, interesting. So, so that, yeah. that's that's Good my point. theory there. So whenever I see him casting a villainous role, I always sort of, uh, you know, am a little bit cautious. Good job he isn't in the new Star Wars film as a villain then. Mm. Incidentally, yeah. his character in the book was actually called Colonel Kurtz, but they changed it to Curtis for the film so that they didn't, so people wouldn't instantly make the reference to Apocalypse Now, you know, <laughs> which uh, I think is quite interesting. Yeah, no, so just his dialogue, because he kept referring to people as Bucko, and uh, it didn't quite ring true coming out of Morgan Freeman's mouth. I think if he had been like a southern white boy or something like that, it would have worked. I think well, it would have sounded it's interesting. It's interesting. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because obviously Shawshank Redemption, you know, his mm. character Red mm. in, in in Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, that that's a like a, a literally a red haired white guy. And, you know, and the fact that that they changed his race uh, in the uh, you know during the film adaptation does not matter a, a jot. You know, it it no. absolutely works. 
So I, I, I'm not, I, I'm not sure that you know. It, it's just like you know. Obviously, one is a is a great performance, and one is is a not great performance. Yeah, I mean, it's just mm. yeah. I think it's a film just to sort of avoid. I think I have to say I I have noticed with a lot of the sort of Stephen King adaptations, if they stay true to the you know to the to the books if they just are like militarily stick to the book then the films don't usually turn out that well i think when they take the book as a beginning and go off and do their sort of own thing or bring their own touch to it then it works really well that's just to prove that basically books are one thing cinemas another and you that you, there's different things you need to do to make one work in one one area and one and the other really yeah it takes a real skill yeah, to yeah. you know bring a book to mm. life in cinema mm. so right, Mike, do you want to hear what is your yeah what's your pick for movie hell yeah what's your pick for movie hell this is the one that had the classic trailer with Stephen King saying you know <laughs> I don't remember the exact words you probably remember it but basically you know I've worked out that he you know, says really um, good Stephen King film made is to do it yourself Hmm. And that's what there you I go, gonna... you know it. Is that, is that <laughs> it? Yeah, so that's what I decided to do. Yeah. Maximum Overdrive. Oh, dear. Yeah, yeah the tr- check out the trailer on YouTube. It's fucking hilarious. You know, Stephen King looking out, looking out of coke-rimmed eyes, looking totally maniacal <laughs> at the screen. Um, basically, I'm not going to be too verbose on this one because I'm feeling tired anyway. Basically, the Earth passes through the tail of a some rogue comet and this sort of makes machines come to life and threaten to kill all of mankind so you've got all these animated machines uh, and you end up with a group of survivors with uh, Emilio Estevez maybe yeah. hot, hot, he was a hot property at the time he was sort of like a lead role for him wasn't it you've got some kick ass right. music from ACDC thrown over the top of it uh, these group of hillbillies or rednecks and uh, stuck in a truck stop called the Dixie Boy truck stop in a gas station and they're under siege and they've got a fight to survive you know and they're mainly assaulted by um, various trucks um, uh, and they try and you know that they're animated monster machines um, I don't know. I've seen some reviews of this where they say it's extremely stupid but entertaining junk movie. Well, I just think it's a fucking junk movie, basically. I have to agree um, with the reviews. I, I, I watched it on VHS. I enjoyed this a lot. I, I thought it was. I thought it was a lot of fun. It's not scary. No, nah. it, it is fun. I, it's a. It's a. It's a great. It's a great concept. The <laughs> idea of the machines turning against us. Yeah. And it's. It is hammy as hell. But. Um, I mean, I, I just I enjoyed it. I mean, this been attacked by a toaster or something. Well, yeah. I, this was going to be my pick for movie hell, yeah. and I I rewatched it again, and I just I really enjoyed it, and I thought I, I can't, you know. I haven't it, seen it for a number of years because I, I watched it. it. I haven't seen it for a number of years because I watched it uh, on VHS tape. I don't think I went to the cinema uh, to see this, uh, but it was a massive disappointment for me. Um, and um, I think Stephen King, you, you just chose the wrong book to make his feature debut, really, because uh, I don't think he's done much after that. As a he? director, King? no. He's, as a director, no. 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 He's, that's his only credit as director. Yeah. Um, I mean, it cost what, $10 million, apparently, estimated, the budget. 
uh, and it grossed something like 7.4 million or something. So it was a thumping great loss for the Delorentis Corporation. Um, and um, there's not much else for me to say. Except I remember watching it, thinking it was a load of old tosh, and uh, being severely disappointed. You know, I mean, I don't know how many people were taken in by the fact that Stephen King was directing his his own film. Um, I mean, it's cool. It's like an action comedy horror sci-fi mashup. Um, I mean, I suppose you could watch it from a sort of grindy house sort of perspective, which is you probably could get some enjoyment out of it from it that way. Um, um, you know, and you've got trucks, you know, trying to run people over and, um, you know, it's like a very confined version of Duel, really. Um, that doesn't really Ugh. work for me. Yeah, I was going to say, don't even put them in the same <laughs> sentence, please. <laughs> well, it's got trucks chasing after people, isn't it? So, yeah, well, yeah, well. it's more than that. I mean, you've got all kinds of machines. Yeah. I mean, um, I do like the bit where the uh, the, the guys in the arcade machine with the uh, the pinball machine that goes haywire. Yeah, I mean, you know, and it would have cost them a lot of money to, to set all this, all these mechanical effects up, and a lot of effort was put into it. But um, I don't know. It just didn't do it for me at all. I remember watching at the time, just getting another thing, get to the end of the VHS and thinking, hmm, what a waste of fucking time that was. Um, I don't know whether Stephen King thinks that it was. It's been. Uh, it should have done better than it did. What were his thoughts on this particular film? Was he I, trying I th- to? Or did I he think ask his he... name to be removed from that one? No, <laughs> no I, I, th- I, th- I think no. he jokes though. If people say why, why has he not directed a movie since? I think his answer is, "Have you seen that movie?" <laughs> so yeah, I think I think he, he's aware. <laughs> so if you were to go and see this in a cinema yeah. with the right audience, it'd be a lot of fun. And it's, you know, for me, it was just, I enjoyed it. Um, You know, it was just a lot of fun. I mean, I I like the. For fuck's sake. No, I didn't like Robot Jocks. I thought you did. No, I didn't. Okay, sorry. That was my movie, Hell. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, you've forgotten that one, Mike? You were like, we recorded that one together. I'm sure you you told me on the QT. Well, actually, yeah, I was really looking forward to it. It was really good. And. Right, no, no, you you get me mixed up. See, oh, okay. I said when I saw the trailer, yeah. when I saw the trailer yeah. for Robot Jocks, that Jelly. I was excited to see it. And then once I saw it, it was a big letdown. Yeah, because in the trailer they put all the footage of the robots, and then you know in the film there's hardly any robot footage in it. No, it's robotic acting more like. I mean, getting back um, to Maximum Mode. Yeah, getting away from I mean, it. I, I mean, I love the design. I mean, look. I love the truck with the Green Goblin on the front. It makes a hell of a villain. Did they have to pay yeah. Marvel for that? For the Green Goblin use? I'm you know? sure they did, <sighs> yeah. but I'm sure they didn't have to pay that much. Mm. What do you other boys think about it? I'm, I'm with up. Simon on this one. I, I, I've, you know, I hadn't, to be honest, I hadn't seen it. It's, it's, it didn't have a terribly good reputation, but... Um, I found it. I found it a good cheesy fun time. It's it's dumb as hell, um, yeah. but but it's but you know I I I kind of I'm glad I've seen a film where, where just with just for that opening scene where Stephen mm. King is, <laughs> yeah. is 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 the guy uh, trying to get this money out of the out of the uh, out of the cash point uh, you know and, and and he's like and he's like honey this machine just caught me an asshole. You know, and, and it's just you know, and and it just kind of that's the tone it takes, and you know, the ACDC music really helps it, I think. Yeah, 
Um, some of the performances are a, the bit, are, are a bit OTT. I'm not a big fan of Pat Hingle in this film um, as the mm. sort of asshole uh, owner of of the sort of the restaurant and truck stop. Um, and I'm, I'm, I don't really understand why it is that the, that the cars don't revolt against everyone when the trucks mm. do. Well, yeah. There, there was that thing where I think because um, I think the machines, some of them are affected earlier than others. But yeah, the the, the bit with um, is it um, is it Yardley Smith, the girl who play does the voice of Lisa Simpson. Yeah, is in the in right. the car with her husband, and you're thinking, well, when's the car gonna revolt? Because I, if I was that car and hearing that voice, because she's really high pitched and squeaky in it, I would be revolting straight You'd away. Be like, the I'm gonna kill you, bitch. You'd be moving but, the folding but, seat yeah, forward, but, wouldn't but you? It's weird. None of, but none of the cars revolt. It's, it, it's like that would be un-American or something to have the, the cars revolt against them. It's weird. I know, but the yeah. the, the ice cream van does. But again, it's I guess it's a van, so, but it, it, so it, does that put yeah. it in the truck? Like thing, I don't know. I guess so. I guess they're too small. I don't know. I mean, the, the, some of the deaths were quite questionable. I mean, the girl who gets killed by a, her Walkman. I was like, how did that happen? Did they play the music well, that loud? It, there was eleven seconds that they had to have cut from the film as well. When the kid gets uh, yeah, mowed on, over, on by release. the uh, is it the steamroller? That's quite. That's maybe quite maybe nice. that's <laughs> maybe that's what they cut out. Maybe they cut out some. Or the of the, the coach the, who Clara. The the coach who got um oh he gets the the coke machine starts firing cans at him and he gets it right in the head. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well. Well, I, I'm I'm I have to say I'm I'm with you on this one, Mike. I watched it you. the other night and I thought it was absolutely <laughs> woeful. I just I was just like oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean it really really isn't my thing we at agree. all. Um, I, I just I just thought you know. Everything about it was pretty awful. The performances would were just way over the top, and it was just it, it wasn't. I, I just don't think it was very well put together. I mean, you know, Stephen King, great writer, but um, in this case, I don't think he was much of a director. Um, uh, and and obviously, you know, he did the screenplay on this one as well. But uh, you got no one else to blame. Was, this this was based on a short story of his called Trucks, which I believe has been remade. Um, as it got, it, it got it got made under as a TV movie called Trucks. Which mm. has anyone seen that? No, no. no. If it's anything it, like it, this, I won't bother. It, it's it's you know allegedly I haven't seen it, but it's allegedly worse than Maximum Overdrive. Um, you know, if you, if you go by IMDb ratings and the like, so. Well, the IMDb I, I on the track, this out. one is five point four, which I'm and the, well, and apparently. The, yeah, IMDb like, also have it as number twenty-four these... in the twenty-five worst films ever made. So um, yeah, yeah. it could be one of these <laughs> shit films that people like Simon and Clive like to watch because they're shit. You know, it's it's fun. it's fun. It's fun. Harmless. I, I, yeah. You know. You know what can I say? Yeah, I I enjoyed it. I mean, I I I mean, I really in, I enjoyed watching Good. it. I, you know, I'm pleased for I, you. I have to say, for me, for me, out of the movie hells, this is the worst one. Wow. Uh, okay. Worse than Dreamcatcher. Yes. Yes. Way Ooh. worse than Dreamcatcher. <laughs> That's um, it, Go for the jugular, man. <laughs> no, no. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It's my opinion. I, you know. It's just, but yeah, I I I just was not impressed and i think i did see it back in the day on vhs mm, or yeah, I did. tv or something it was but um, rubbish. i had no memory of it and when i watched it just then i kind of wished i 
had, you could still had no it. memory of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, you can't no, unsee. It, 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 it's, I mean, it's not for it to be film, mentioned it, in the I think same... it's an entertaining one, so, you know. Yeah, but please don't mention Duel in the same breath as this film. I mean, no. please. That's, <laughs> that's back to my analogy of, of Spaceballs and Lawrence Arabia. I, I know you, you know find that I mean? a deeply offensive. <laughs> but I do have a point. <laughs> Homicidal tracks. Uh, <laughs> uh. Before we right. finish, I just want to ask, because... Uh, Maximum Overdrive is the only film we've picked which has a Stephen King cameo. What's your favourite Stephen King cameo in another work? Oh, Creep Show. Creep Show. <laughs> Got him before you, mate. The last death, death of Geordie Verrill. Yeah, no, that's and his cool. weird look suits that dumbass, backward, <laughs> cunt, you know. Sheep shagging, you know, his sister's brother's mother's, his daughter's sister or something type fella. He, he, he fits that perfectly. Um, so I can't think of many other cameos I've seen him in. Was he, was he in Pet Cemetery as well, if memory serves? Yeah, he was the uh, preacher. Uh, oh, that's right. Yes. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's at the funeral. Yeah. Fucking hell, he gets residuals left, right, and centre on his own movies, doesn't he? <laughs> uh, yeah. 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 top man but you know you can't yeah. knock his creative output um I mean, oh definitely not um he's he's he is the you know i mean apart from maybe clive barker who's a bit more twisted than he is um uh he he's been the preeminent sort of horror writer for the last 20 or 30 years isn't he really and he's yeah. still cracking them out you know and he's some, yeah, he's, and he did the Shawshank Redemption and uh, the Green Mile and Stand yeah. by Me. I mean, you know, the list of good Stephen King films definitely outweigh, outweighs the bad. I think. Yeah, I agree. I agree. There's some good Across stuff. Across all but, the genres. Yeah, but you know, it's he's, he's worked with, or oh, there have been so many different filmmakers, you know, involved mm. in in uh, bringing these these stories to life and it's interesting yeah. there's it's quite a mixed bag when you look at it yeah but, uh, yeah as i said i always like what carpenter did with christine i think that's a great film as well that's up there with uh, the interesting know, thing i've noticed lot. like you know like uh, J- james herbert is sort of fucking preoccupied with ghosts i mean stephen king is preoccupied with like the telekinetic type angle isn't he if you think about it so yeah. many of his films are almost like remakes of each other, aren't they? This is true. This is true. Yeah. Thematically, that is used a lot, which is, uh, yeah. as, I, as I sort of said earlier when we were talking about Lawnmower Man, it's probably yeah. the only connection I could make apart from the title. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been I, interesting. I'd, I'd say, though, about, about our sort of hell choices, you know, it, your, your mileage may vary, but for me, that none of them are as poor as some of the sequels uh, to to his work, which we mm. sort of we sort of <laughs> counted out. But some of the, <laughs> return some of the, to Salem's Lot. <laughs> uh, that was some, pretty some, poor, some of it? the chil- some of the children of the corn sequels are are pretty pretty grim. Well, I think um, I, I think that, I, I don't know why they always give about the children of the corn box sets at Fright Fest and stuff, and I'm like, fuck off, children of the fucking corn. So they're all so shit. good, they can't give them away. They're all yeah, exactly. They're all shit. If I actually got given one of those, I'd just go out and give it to a tramp to fucking sit on or put it in a bin. 
It's just a waste of waste of fucking paper. I, I, and plastic. No, I think I think the first the first film is, is the first no, film is okay. No, it's not. <laughs> I know you. I know you treasure your Children of the Corn multi platinum box set high def version that you've got secreted away under your bed somewhere. I uh, know, uh, man. It's, it's the director's out, it's out, commentary. It's out, it's, out, it's out and proud with the rest of my horror DVDs. Yeah, I've seen them, but yeah. it's uh, it, it's. Right. Uh, I, I I think. You know, it's like be be warned. You know, uh, once you get past the actual adaptations of his work, yeah. then they, it they, goes downhill. It, it, there's like a really steep drop off. Is what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. Right. I think On that bombshell, the best way to best way to end this is with a quote from Stephen King himself. Yay! People think that I must be a very strange person. This is not correct. I have the heart of a small boy. It's in a glass jar on my desk. <laughs> nice. <laughs> like it. I like it. A literary right, genius. Right. So we will uh, finish on our uh, usual uh, where to find us. So, uh, Mike, where can we find um, your work? Um, Apocalypticconservatory.com um, and maybe on the BBC if you're watching it on the Fear TV programme. If anyone watches TV, wow! <laughs> yeah, well, you you have BBC iPlayer if you missed. Yeah, them. you have. So it'll be on one of them. There's six episodes. Yeah, so. yeah. So that's my latest claim to fame. So yeah, check it out. Clive, how can we find your work? Well, uh, if you want to hear me podcast some more, you can check out my uh, work on the A to Z of SFF podcasts. Uh, where actually the last two, as this drops, will be about horror movies, Altered States and uh, Ooh, Army yeah. of Darkness specifically. Nice one. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you can check that out as the A to Z of SFF.com. And if you would like to look at my work as a filmmaker, then uh, go on to Vimeo and search under Clive Ashenden. And Keith, where can we find your work? Yeah, uh, well, obviously... There's loads of more of these podcasts. If you want to subscribe <coughs> and download more of them, go for it. Um, and in terms give, them a, of, give them a rating. Give them a rating. Give them a rating. Yeah, go on. Uh, and in terms of uh, films I've made, they are currently on YouTube. If you go to British Isles, that's E-Y-L-E-S, um, you will find them there. And as always, you can find my work at independentrunnings.com. Uh, so, yes, please, um, you can find this podcast on iTunes and Mixcloud. Uh, also, we're on YouTube. Just search for uh, Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. Also, uh, follow us on Facebook and on Twitter. Just uh, search for Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. So, uh, thank you guys for coming on to this Halloween special and giving us your thoughts Ooh. about Stephen King. Oh, thanks for having us. It's been a pleasure. Happy Halloween. And Yes, happy exactly. Halloween. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. It's our favourite holiday. <laughs>